to Sportsnet today on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What is up? Welcome to Sportsnet today. It is Vic Nazar, and with me today is senior editor at The Athletic here in Vancouver, Israel Fair. At a uh, more reasonable time, 6 a.m. yesterday, noon today. Uh, yeah, it's man. Much, it's, it's much easier on the, uh, on the body when you get to do it at noon. Yeah, when you're not used to it. You know, the old body clock. Is the, the the circadian rhythms <laughs> getting all scientific here at uh, at noon on a, again and yeah as you said Vic a more reasonable hour. Oh, I was not expecting circadian rhythms to get broken out today. Uh, if you want to interact with the show, you know where to go: six fifty six fifty into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll try to give you a chance to. Uh, Chime in as well if you want to call in, 604-280-0650. A uh, couple of things going on today. We'll, we'll hear from Bruce Boudreau. You know, we'll, we'll play back the uh, his uh, off-day media availability when he meets with media uh, later today uh, as they just stepped off the ice. Uh, also, we'll, we'll talk to uh, Gene Principe. It is, it is going down in Edmonton right now. Uh, Gino will join us in about 30 minutes. Uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com at 1.30. And it's a new year, but same time. Tuesdays at 2 o'clock. Yannick Hansen, longtime NHLer and Vancouver Canuck. You hear him quite often here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, he'll join us as well to uh, talk about suddenly a resurgent Vancouver Canucks have placed themselves back into the conversation in the playoff race. And, and the Vancouver Canucks could only do so much. The, the, they can only play their games and, and try to pick up W's. What they need also is other teams to stumble back to the pack. And the Edmonton Oilers are doing exactly that. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night, Izzy. That obviously the Canucks needed to go, you know, eight zero and one, nine zero and one in this stretch here, and, and reclaim what their season is, and they do con- kind of control their destiny from this from this spot moving forward. And the pace teams were on earlier on in the season. You know, at one point there were eight teams above a hundred points, at least points pace. That was never going to hold true for a long stretch of time. Sure, it was. It, it was always going to come back to ninety-four points. Well, we're back at that number right now. Edmonton keeps losing, and now as far as points pace, the Canucks are exactly ten points out of the. Uh, playoff spot right now. It's the lowest it's been. They have closed 26 points per pace uh, since Bruce Poudre arrived. It's it's an unbelievable uh, set of circumstances to time your winning streak with a team you needed to lose and they start losing. And I was just kind of looking at the Western Conference right now and you know when we're, we're, we're discussing you know, last week we had this conversation. I think it was me and Rand Deep had this conversation of, you know, who are you concerned about in the Western Conference right now? The Canucks have to leapfrog some teams, but who are you actually concerned about? You know, L.A., San Jose, you know, there's not a heavy level of concern there. Dallas seemingly can't get out of their own way. Uh, there's not a huge level of concern there for, for me, although I'm a big fan of Dallas, but they keep seemingly shooting themselves in the foot uh, throughout the course of the season. And you, know, you start looking at this, and I want to get into this conversation of kind of tearing the Western Conference right now, but the Canucks 
as as bleak as it did look, and and part of the frustrations I think for a lot of people is a lot of people believe that this team was greater than it was showing. Obviously, myself included, I, I picked this team to to sneak into the playoffs, maybe wild card two or Pacific Division three seed. But the thing is, they do have edges over the rest of the conference playoff hopefuls. There's some teams that are going. We know about them, but. You kind of map pair them versus other teams right now that are trying to claw their way in and and grab one of the late seedings in in the playoff picture. The Vancouver Canucks should have edges over these teams, and you kind of go through them, and you know it's been illustrated many times. Obviously, there's flaws in this roster, and the overall roster construction is is the depth there enough, and and these are all valid conversations, but one of the reasons to be excited about this team is the high-end talent, is the star power, and you compare it versus the other teams in that middle grouping, they should have the edge on those teams based on the star power that does exist on this team. The Canadian teams I find really interesting in that mix, and that's Edmonton within the division and Winnipeg outside of the division, but a team that uh, is is kind of in that that middle right now. Right? You know, they've had a stretch during the season where they looked really good. They started off strong. We know that the goaltending has had a track record there with Connor Hellebuck, but that's a team that's still a bit in transition. They were they had you know talk about the Canucks concerns on their blue line. Winnipeg quite similarly had depth concerns, and part of that was getting Nate Schmidt from Vancouver in the off season, reshaping the way that their blue line was going to to be deployed this year. I mean, they also had, uh, you know, an unexpected coaching change to to deal with there. And that's a team that uh, we saw here in Vancouver, you know, just during the the, the Bruce run uh, in December, where they their strengths from what we saw of them a couple of years ago, or even going back further to the year they made the Western Conference Finals, was they've got two, three really deep, and talented forward lines. Uh, they still have a lot of those names. They still have a lot of those players, uh, even if they swap Patrick Lane for Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's having a good season. Mm-hmm. That's not, they're not the dominant force that they were in that area because there's some more concerns about Mark Shifley's game. Blake Wheeler, who's out injured, in fact, got hurt in that game against the Canucks, is not the player that he was three or four years ago. Uh, you know, Nick Ehlers has been up and down. Kyle Connor is one of the best goal scorers in the league, but there's the concerns about his defensive game. So they're a team that as well has those questions. And I mean, you set it up with Edmonton. Uh, they are under the spotlight right now uh, as the losses pile up. And the questions for them, uh, the strengths and the weaknesses are even more stark than they are in Vancouver and Winnipeg. Uh, you know, everybody knows. Every team in the league is game planning against the, the two top guys in their lineup. Otherwise, there's still a ton of questions, even if every offseason, and now it's been a couple of offseasons for Ken Holland to put his imprint on this team, make major free agent acquisitions like Zach Hyman, make trades, like hockey trades, as uh, Jim Benning used to love to say, right, by swapping Ethan Bear for Warren Fogle. Like, that's a big difference. Uh, That was something that, that was a big bet, right? It's like Zach Hyman's going to make a difference for us in our top six. A player like uh, Bear is not going to play on, on our decor. So like, let's add another player that can be uh, one of those middle six players. Probably the skill set's different, but sort of what Canucks fans or the Canucks would expect from someone like Tanner Pearson. And all of a sudden, 
when that doesn't work as perfectly as uh, the front office maybe imagined, and they've got they've got compared to Vancouver and uh, Winnipeg serious goaltending concerns. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you you are you're you're digging, and with the Canucks, I think when we we laid out this season what what this season needs to be uh, for this team, where they need to have their strengths. Uh, I think everybody went to well, Thatcher Demko needs to be good, and he's been as good, if not better, than anybody could have expected. And that they're going to need scoring depth up front uh, in, in, a, in a good power play. And so that, those strengths haven't changed. And even as we sit here watching every game and analyzing some of the changes that have been made under Bruce Boudreaux, I think to accentuate those strengths that we set out for this team at the, at the start of the season, it does make the other teams in that, in that grouping in the, in the middle of the Western Conference right now really interesting to put next to the Canucks and, and look at, okay, the Canucks definitely put themselves behind the eight ball with their, their horrible start. They, they have to overcome that, and they've done a nice job of, of biting into that chunk much better than I think anybody uh, could have expected. But putting, those, putting them up against those teams, I mean, I've been talking about Edmonton and Winnipeg here, but mm-hmm. you look at Anaheim, you could look at Nashville, and they're, they're on the flip side of Edmonton, right? Like, they're rolling. So uh, they're, they're another team that has pretty distinct strengths and weaknesses, and how those play out over the course of the rest of the season is, is going to be fascinating. Well, you map up those teams here, and the way I kind of look at this is, and I, there's the idea of a collection of high-end talent, and I think Winnipeg's got that, and I think Edmonton's got that. But go through the like the lineup, and it's not just about having a certain number of players; it's where are those players allocated? Do you have? You know, one star player at forward. Do we have one star player at defense? Do you have one star player in goal? And you do that exercise. Sure, the Canucks might have the same amount as Edmonton or Winnipeg, but it's are they separated by position? And that's the thing that I think I looked at at versus the the cluster of teams here. That not a lot of teams can say that. I think you can say that about Nashville. I'm a big Philip Forsberg guy. Uh, I, I look to him and I say, hey, that's kind of a a high end talent. You know, Duchesne's having a resurgent season. That's big for them. Obviously, Roman Yossi and, and UC Soros. But you know, Anaheim right now is they have goaltending. Do they have an elite level demon right now? Obviously, Jamie Drysdale might get there, and I'm hopeful for his, for his success. And up front, you know, Troy Terry right now is the guy. Is he having a breakout season, or is this who Troy Terry is? And and that's something that has to get figured out. But they're they're kind of missing that to me, or or they're a year ahead of schedule. Maybe is a better way to put it. It's, right. It's, it's, it's we're waiting for their their star status to get confirmed. Maybe kind of like year one Hughes and Pedersen. Uh, we're waiting to see how you know what the ceiling could be for that team. Obviously, Zegers is part of that equation, but you know he he still to me is is part of that confirming you're a superstar and you want to do it for a whole season. And you know, LA is they'll get there because they have certain guys. Dowdy to me is a star, but you know, Byfield, Turcott, that that group of players is coming. And it's it's really just Nashville, Vancouver, and maybe Dallas. And now they they probably lack it in goal. Uh, you know, Hopi and 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 Jake Ottinger are are decent, but it's it's not the the super stuff level, level caliber. But obviously, Miro Heiskanen, you know, Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson, those guys to me are 
are, are strong level players. Um, you kind of do that exercise to see does does every box get checked for star level play, and it's it's really only a couple of teams in that hopeful group. Obviously, there's the Colorado Vegas tier and, and all those guys, but it, it is it is missing a little bit for some other teams right now. And this unsigned text here, if PD was anywhere close to his game, this team would be so much better. And yeah, that's that's part of this conversation too. I'm not even considering Pedersen playing at a star level right now. It's it's JT Miller, it's Quinn Hughes, and it's Thatcher Demko. And Thatcher Demko was very much a uh, uh, a topic of conversation yesterday. He met with media yesterday, and, and Bruce Boudreaux was asked about him quite a bit. And, you know, Boudreaux was asked, you know, when he arrived, he's already said hey, some players are better than I even thought. Uh, Queen Hughes was one, of, was one of them. Here's what uh, Bruce had to say about Thatcher Demko. There's a lot of 100%. I mean, you know what? And I'm not taking anything away from Vancouver, but when I was in Anaheim, it was the same thing. Is people back east, they don't know about these guys. They just don't know. I mean, they, they go to sleep before they play. They don't, uh, they don't, you know, papers are almost obsolete, but they don't read about them or, or hear about them. So they don't know how good these guys are. But I've been impressed by more than just those two guys. But those two guys have really, really impressed me. They're great hockey players. I mean, uh, as good as I've, I had at that position ever when I coached. We'll go to Ben Kuzma, Post Media. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux when he met uh, with media yesterday. We'll bring you his full presser uh, when he meets uh, with media today uh, in just a little bit. Uh, but, A, first of all, endearing himself to the uh, the Vancouver market, saying people out east don't uh, don't. He knows the talking points, well. baby. Yeah, he, he gets it, man. He's Bruce, there it is, man. He, <laughs> he got it. Uh, but also, it's like, hey, like, Thatcher Demko plays a massive role in this conversation, and it's easy to shrug aside goaltending and I'm look I'm one that devalues goaltending as far as positional spending and, and how it, it it relates to your entire roster build I think there's a certain threshold you can't cross when it comes to spending but you can't ignore the idea of the impact goaltending has on the game and you know the, the way Thatcher Demko is trending right now it's it, it's it's hard to, to, to try to score three goals on him and when you have that cheat code available to your team that's something that's a, a big catalyst to try to springboard towards uh, this chase amongst the playoff hopefuls. It's huge. Uh, and that's that's been the key. And we've seen this back, going back to uh, Jacob Markstrom's last couple seasons with the Canucks. If, those teams were a little bit worse off, I think, or, around the edges. And some of the underlying numbers, honestly, during Bruce Boudreaux's few games here they haven't changed all that much uh Demko is just playing at, at such a high level now there are this is kind of more defensively I think right like there, there's a ton to be encouraged by by the, the way that the Canucks are creating and the way that they are playing overall as a five-man unit compared to what we were seeing late in in the Travis Green era so that's you know huge positive but the, yeah and the, the the bulk of this is is Thatcher Demko and how well he's played uh, this was the investment that was made. Uh, going back to when we were talking about him as a, a future face of this franchise, the, f the goalie of the future, you were trying to map this out. And to be quite honest, if, you, if you're going back to when he was drafted or, or when he went pro, it's been pretty close to the progression that you would expect. 
Uh, now, it wasn't quite as seamless making the jump to the NHL level, and that was in part because Jacob Markstrom went from a bit of a question mark to a guy that established himself as a number one and earned a big free agent contract and and moved on, making room for Thatcher Demko. But since then, you know, it, it's been the exception of a couple bumps in last season, and my God, the Canucks had more than a few bumps that were significantly worse than anything Thatcher Demko went through last season on the ice anyway. Uh, it's been, it's just, it it's makes such a big difference when trying to do the math here on on if this team does have a chance to go on a run and, and push for the playoffs and be in the conversation with those teams in the Western Conference that we've talked about because none of those teams are perfect. That uh, They've all got their strengths and their weaknesses and the Canucks are in that group. And I was someone that looked at this Canucks team ahead of the year and didn't think that they would be playoff bound. Um, now, uh, based on on the deficit, I, I'd still be hard pressed to say that they are. But they've made it a conversation, and yeah, Demko's Demko's central in that. I, I want to play this back from from Thatcher Demko yesterday because it, it was an interesting thought. And you know, one of the reasons I, I really like a player like Demko and, and a player even like Brock Besser. You know, I've advocated for Brock Besser being a long term fixture on this on this team because there's a certain mental makeup to these guys that. It, it, it's. I, I do think there's signs of maturity that they kind of get it and that they will constantly try to get better. And I want to play this back from Thatcher Demko here, just talking about the mental aspect of the game here. And it's stuff like this that, you know, I, I see the, the, the mental maturity from Demko that, you know, there, there's there's always a worry, hey, what if the goaltending completely slips up? And it, it's stuff like this that I hear from Thatcher where I think he takes – he takes care of his end of it. It's it's up to the people in front of him to create the environment where he's always going to be spectacular. Here's what Demko talked about, the mental aspect of the game. Well, I mean, we're all adults. You know, we have a, a ceiling on our physical capacities. You know, it's uh, everyone's talented in this league. There's a ton of guys that aren't in this league that are really good, good goaltenders, good players. Um, so it's got to be something else that separates guys and um, – you know, it's. I think the mental side of things is is the thing that does that, and it's. Uh, I, I think it's something where there's no there's no ceiling on the mental capacity, so um, you can just always just keep building in in that regard. And I think that's uh, you know all the guys that you know are are the great goalies in the league or have been great goalies in the league. It's that's kind of what they they're always preaching to. It's uh, it's all up top. So. That's uh, Thatcher Demko when he met with media yesterday. Uh, and, and, you know, again, to, to me, he's the backbone of all of this that can have uh, some success here amongst these Western Conference uh, playoff teams that are trying to chase it down. If you were to tier the, the Western Conference right now and look at, you know, how it gets separated, I, I think the the top and the bottom is really easy to figure out. I think the top is, tier one to me is Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota. That to me is the class of the Western Conference, and three of those teams are uh, central teams. The mm-hmm. bottom, I, I think there's five tiers to the Western Conference right now. And if you want, if you disagree, 650, 650, you can send in your tiers as well of, of what the Western Conference looks like right now to you. The bottom is Chicago, Seattle, Arizona, I, I don't really care that Chicago is going to finish 15 points higher than Arizona. It's, <laughs> sure, yeah. They're all they're all different degrees of iconically bad right now. Then then like the the middle three tiers is, is when it gets interesting. 
Uh, and I know Calgary's having a very good season. I still have a couple of reservations about them, but I put them in tier two all by themselves. So I, I recognize that they can be in that first tier, but right now I'm, I'm just kind of separating them from the, 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 the hopefuls and the elite. I think they're in the playoffs, but a little bit separated from that top tier. It's that middle tier that's really interesting to me. And, and I put San Jose and, and LA in, in the fourth tier that – Fine, they're, they're better than bad, but they're not going to the playoffs. It's that third tier to me is, is, is where it really gets interesting. I've got Nashville, I've got Edmonton, Anaheim, Winnipeg, Dallas, and Vancouver. All the teams we've kind of talked about already, Izzy, here. And you got to go through that. It's Now, obviously, the, the, their places are, are totally different. Nashville sitting at the, you know, 42 points. They've been on a heater just like Vancouver. But this is the group to me is... Can Vancouver emerge from this group? And given the way it's trending, Anaheim and Edmonton right now, it, it's easy to have uh, confirmation bias of what's happened these past, you know, five weeks here. But it, it, it I would wager against those teams and, and back Vancouver in this scenario. We'll pick it like we should pick at this throughout the show because there's, mm-hmm. there's a few aspects that I, I think are worthwhile digging into um, because I, I have a question as to. You know, what is holding Calgary back from being Tier 1? And also, I think that you, we could even break down Tier 1 to, to a smaller tier, uh, which which maybe we can do later. Uh-huh. Uh, when, when it comes to Tier 3, uh, I think that keeping LA and San Jose out is completely fair. I know that you, you, you've been consistently high on Dallas. And mm-hmm. they've been riding the roller coaster a little bit. Uh, they, you know, they, they opened the season with basically, well, they thought that they might have four goalies. Then the, the Ben Bishop yeah. uh, injury kind of changed that. And um, they, they've, they've, I mean, they've kind of been this way for a number of years, right? They, they obviously make the Stanley Cup final in the bubble on the basis of, again, I keep saying this, but on the basis of the strength of their team, where they had a number of, of veteran players, uh, with uh, depth up front, uh, a couple of really effective puck-moving defensemen, and a good mix to, to complement those guys, and good goaltending, but they didn't know necessarily where they were going to get that from. And even so, their consistency has just been so up and down and up and down that they, they deserve to be in this group they're just I, I I'm a bit colder on them than you are because I, I guess they're they're less sexy than a team like Winnipeg or certainly yeah. a team like Edmonton and I I think even a team like the Canucks with the the high end talent and when the Canucks are winning they're winning on the basis of scoring a lot of goals and and playing fun to watch hockey where Dallas even when they've had success it's been it's been a little bit more plotting. Uh, and they've gotten the clutch goals, and they, they certainly have players with that reputation. Uh, but to me, that that's kind of the team that I'm I'm looking at, opposed to you here, and going, okay, I, I I don't know. Even though I think the baseline is probably a little bit higher than some of these other teams, I don't see the ceiling. Well, it, it, okay, let me put it this way: if, if I was selling stock on these six teams, Anaheim would be first. Of of who 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 I'm trying to short. We're doing the big short here, right? So you're Christian Bale, and I guess I'm Steve Carell here in this in this scenario. <laughs> I'm Gosling, it, bro. <laughs> yeah, you get the cherry on top. It's all great. Uh, if, if we're shorting things right now, like Anaheim would be my lead one, and Dallas is probably the second one. 
to be fair to what you're saying, they are volatile. They have had a lot of ups and downs. They they do play that grinding style game. But, you know, Vancouver, like, we're, we're two teams into this 16 tier, and Vancouver's not there for me. Is is Winnipeg, we're going back to those Canadian teams there, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Vancouver, if you had to short one of those and power rank which ones you're not buying, who's the one you're not buying into? I mean, this sounds obvious based on what we're, we're seeing right now, but it's it's Edmonton because it, it feels like, and I, I'm saying this as someone who feels like this stuff gets overstated a lot. It feels like they're on the precipice of just a, an incredible sort of meltdown, and mm-hmm. they've got the get-out-of-jail-free card that's Connor McDavid. But if, if that goes away, then they're, they're in, and like not goes away in the sense that they're going to trade him right now, though he is evidently his status for tomorrow night's game against the Maple Leafs is up in the air with some COVID protocol situation. But if, you know, he, he hasn't been the point producer that he was last year, at least on five on five. And that was, you know, last year was an unbelievable year with even within the context of 56 game season Canadian division. Like it was, it was unlike anything we'd seen in a really long time. And just the rest of the roster, uh, the Duncan Keith trade, uh, the goaltending is just a, a real red flag right now when they went into the season, basically needing a 40 plus year old Mike Smith to, to, to be that kind of player. Again, you talk about not wanting to invest too much in goaltending uh i mean that's that is the flip side i suppose uh and they put a lot of their eggs in that basket uh we'll get into the oiler conversation uh next with uh, gene prince of pay because it you're, you're right it is melting down there right now and it, it's it's not dissimilar to what we saw in Vancouver earlier this year. Uh, what is the timeline for Dave Tippett? He had some uh, choice words for Miko Koskinen yesterday and the team. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it with uh, Gene Principe. Uh, a look at the Oilers, because if they keep creating down, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are, are the big beneficiaries of it. It's like John Lovitz in uh, The Wedding Singer. It's like, he's losing his mind, and I'm reaping all the benefits. It's, it's that scenario right now. The Vancouver Canucks in the thick of it, thanks in part to the Oilers' struggles right now. We'll talk to Gino next here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet today on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Victor Israel Fair with us today. And you, you can always text in 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Gene Principe coming up in just a second. Uh, we'll talk about those Oilers struggles. Someone texted in. Uh, so what package with Elias Pedersen would it take to get McDavid or Drysidle out of Edmonton right now? That is from uh, West End Mike. Now, I, I do subscribe <laughs> to the theory that uh, the Oilers wouldn't entertain that. Uh, you know, because in theory, anyone's tradable, right? A- anyone's tradable. I-, I don't know if the Oilers are going to send one of their star players. So Petey and, and Myers uh, to make the salaries match? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to worry about money in, money out, all that sort of stuff. But uh, I, I can't imagine the the Oilers would entertain that idea, trading in division. But I, I did something for all the Pedersen naysayers last night. 
I, I wanted to live in their reality. And so I, I mapped out what players would I entertain the conversation of trading for. So we'll do that later on in the show. So I, I tried to live in their mind last night and, and exercise that idea of, hey, if you were going to move them and you don't believe in them, who would you actually move them for? And I did centers only. We can maybe tour the rest of the positions around the league. But I don't know. I, I came up with probably less names than people want uh, to hear. So we'll, we'll do that exercise later on in the show uh, in the 1 o'clock hour. We'll talk to Gene Principe uh, next in just a couple of minutes here. It's bad for them right now. It wasn't even just that they lost last night. It was the standalone game. It's in Madison Square Garden. Like It, it was the type of venue where, hey, if everything was going to be right, Connor McDavid stands out, dominates the game, and it's like, here we go. Everything's okay. We can relax and, and move on. Bright lights of NYC, and everything's cool. It was anything but that last night. And, and now the concern is... What's happening here? Forget even just like a, a losing streak because it, it, it harkens back, you know, memories of, of so many years gone by for the Oilers. It is going so badly for them right now. It, it, look, all these questions start to get raised up of, for starters, like how long does Dave Tippett have? And are, are they, you know, you, you see the success of Vancouver and you try to do the coach bump. Is that something that they try to explore as well? The Rangers part of it is is a, a fun wrinkle because it's not quite like it is in the NBA where, uh, you know, a, a good team goes to play the Knicks. And oh, yeah. it's this huge story, even when the Knicks are really bad. Like anytime LeBron would go to New York or Steph Curry goes to play the Knicks and it's like got this extra attention to it. Uh, the standalone made it a, a little bit that way, I guess. And like anytime McDavid, McDavid's one of those players uh, that, he he's in that tier i think that for a long time was basically just crosby ovechkin where wherever they're going especially if it's out of conference there's going to be extra attention paid to that game so he's going out of conference playing in new york there's going to be extra attention paid there because he's he's on that really short list of players that that transcends rosters right like the, that it, we we feel that here in vancouver i think still when Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovech can come to town because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen all that often. So uh, it, the, one of those uh, wonder goals that McDavid scored earlier this year was against the Rangers, right? So there was there was that too, I think, uh, fueling it. And they, they just they just look they look horrible. And and it's not this is not just a couple of weeks now. It's really the calendar turned to December, uh, and and the play has really bottomed out. It's been really really tough for them uh and it's uh from what i understand in edmonton is not going over very well yeah and the the venues things is, is kind of funny because i do think a lot of players would say hey they love playing in madison uh, square garden but it doesn't get the same hallowed experience uh in hockey as it does in the nba Maybe, well, obviously look uh, an individual player controls so much more of the game uh in the nba than they do in the nhl but uh you know there are certain venues in the nhl that you know, obviously Montreal, Toronto. Montreal, yep. yeah. I mean, like and, Toronto, it's it's. I think for a lot of it's the the hockey night thing, and it's yeah. the the number of players that are from there. It's like the hometown games are, are, are really meaningful. That yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, we'll pitch that by uh, Yannick Hansen maybe. How much he loved playing in MSG. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, later on in the show, he'll join us at two o'clock. But you're you're right. It, it's 
so many things are just going wrong for the Oilers, and, and it's highlighted by you know their goaltending. Mike Smith, to his credit, has been very strong uh, and, and obviously improved a lot this past you know year and a half. But yeah, when he's played. Yeah, the the, the issue is when he's played, right? Like a, a availability is an ability, and they they've had their concerns with that. And you know, Miko Koskinen last night, not good enough, and it, it's just. They're left with these options of, you know, Stuart Skinner, or do you have to go into the trade market and find someone? No, like I just, a, I don't think Stuart Skinner's. Uh, that's not going to be acceptable. No, he's had a couple of flashes, and he's a young goalie that's still developing. And Koskinen's the the type of goalie where, uh, I know Kevin Woodley at different points has sung his praises and saying, you know, it need, we need to be patient here. He's he's gotten. Uh, when he's when he's settled in and when he has enough rest that he, he puts up good numbers. But this is not the situation that the Oilers find themselves in. And if they had Smith there, then yeah, it, it, it's it's a much better environment. But when, when you're banking on a 40-plus-year-old goalie, then it, 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 it's just you're thrusting a guy into that kind of position. And Koskinen, on many nights, I think, whether it's anecdotal or whether you can back it up with stats, what they what happened against the Rangers is like you said, Bick, it's just like it's not good enough. And fans start to go through the goals and go, Well, he should have had that one. You should have played this this play better. Um and he's got he's had a bunch of that in his in Oilers career. And it makes it, at least from the fans' perspective, really hard to to buy in and trust. And you know, just just kind of going to the Stuart Skinner thing too. It's like that's a lot of pressure to put on a young player. Especially a goalie, right? It's one thing to say, hey, can someone step into the, the third pairing D man and, and, and take a few credible minutes this is your goalie to say hey you need to save this franchise right now that is an insane uh, uh, amount of pressure and it, it goes into the same cycle that they've probably done before you know Devin Dubnik and it, it's they're in a spot where they're hoping uh you know terrible ideas pan out and so you just you have to try to correct it at some stage the other part of it too is you know, some of the bets they've made aren't working out Duncan Keith is you know what kind of like their version of Tyler Myers where it's like yeah you're 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 you might be okay but are you actually living up to what your price tag is Tyson sure yeah Mary, this play's been okay I, I I don't I I wouldn't necessarily look at Duncan Keith has been like a horrible, but the, it's the cap that they they yes. that was their cap commitment in yes. the whole all the scuttlebutt before that trade where Duncan Keith had control of where he might end up was Edmonton needs Chicago to hold at least 50%. Mm-hmm. So and, and- give themselves the chance to work with two million, two and a half million. I mean, this is again like an in division trade, but it, would they would they be better off with a, a guy like Yaroslav Halak as a, as a veteran option for them, given his salary? They, they, but they don't have that kind of flexibility because they made the bet that Duncan Keith was going to solidify the top four and bring all his winner guy and leader guy stuff to the Oilers. And it's it's already to this point is, is shown that that's just complete crap and hasn't worked. The other guy, too, is is someone like Tyson Berry, right? They dedicate money to him to, to be on the power play. And, okay, it's, it's 17 points in 33 games. I guess that's okay. But it's are you really getting the, the true value out of what that – 
your spot in the roster is because you have an, an Evan Bouchard, you have Darnell Nurse, you have Duncan Keith. It, it, it's, it's kind of a, a misallocation of money when you need kind of just overall steadier play across your roster, especially when your bottom six forwards right now is populated with guys that just shouldn't really have consistent minutes in the league. We'll talk to Gene Principe right now, who joins us, uh, host and reporter, uh, Oilers host and reporter on Sportsnet. Uh, Gino, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you guys? Uh, we are all good. Thanks a lot for uh, for spending some time with us here. It is uh, it is falling off the rails pretty fast in Oilers uh, Nation. Uh, is it a movie that fans have seen quite often before? Because it, it feels like I, I've watched the ending of this movie before. Well, I th- I think this one seemed different. Uh, certainly, the start was phenomenal. It, it seemed like every game, Leon and Connor were equaling, matching, closing in on some kind of record that you know was attached to Gretzky or Lemieux or Yager, uh, you know, greats of the organization and 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 greats of the game. Um, but uh, it, it's been different lately, and you know, I, I know this sounds kind of weird, but they haven't like, like you said, off the rails. It, it's it's kind of like one or two of the wheels are sort of straddling off and on. Like I haven't seen them play terrible. It's just uh, what I would say is everything that was going incredibly right, including a power play that was you know over fifty percent. Um, and a penalty kill that was in the top two or three. I mean, and, and Leon and Connor getting three to four points, not every game, but many games or a number of games. And, and it just, everything was just like, wow, it was uh, going great. And now it, it's not going like that. And so I don't know. I mean, you know, like the old saying goes, were they as good as they were to start? Were they as bad as they are now? Probably somewhere in the middle, but you know, uh, as you guys know in sports, momentum, whether it's it's in a, a period, a game, uh, a, a week, a month, like when you don't have it and you're trying and scrambling to find it, it can be incredibly hard to find, and they can't seem to, they can't quite find it. You know, like last night, two one after two, and then it's three one and four one, and, and suddenly you go, we didn't play that bad, but we didn't win again. We've seen the, the, the reverse of what Edmonton's going through here in Vancouver with the Canucks. Yeah. Horrible start to the season. Coaching change, and then things go on, and they're, they're, they, can't, they can't lose at this point. But um, with the Oilers, and, and what we saw with the Canucks was that uh, the fan base started to get vocal and, and was indicating that they'd like a change, that the, that the play wasn't good enough. Now, the Oilers at least have that great start to sort of comfort themselves and back back off and as the team is now on this extended road trip because of uh, because of the world juniors uh, what's the temperature of the fan base what's the temperature in edmonton because it, it has been a lot of up and downs over the last couple of years the highs have been great the lows seem to to provoke quite the reaction yeah i think uh, well if you all you got to do is dive into social media a bit and you'll see that fans are well, you know, they're upset, they're frustrated, they're mad, they're sad. Um, some lose it, some don't. Some are trying to find the positives. I mean, it's it's all over the map. And as you guys know from your own market, it, it's it's what makes uh, Canadian hockey markets uh, special, uh, but shall we say potentially challenging as well because of everything that is said and can be said and can be read, right? We used to just do it 
uh, well, we, we can't have parties anymore, but, you know, you used to do it just when you were with your buddies, uh, going for a bite to eat or you're having a drink. Well, now you can do it and it gets retweeted or liked, shared. Um, so, yeah, the, the fans are kind of wondering what's, what's going on and how do we fix this, right? And, you know, Mike Smith, unfortunately, has virtually missed the entire season. And I, I think that things would be... Uh, different if he was playing. He is their number one goalie, and people will argue, well, is he a number one? Well, he was a number one last year. He has been a number one. And my suggestion is until he doesn't play like a number one, then you can say that. Um, so that, that's been difficult. You know, the COVID stuff, you know, they're all going through it, every team. Uh, some worse than others. Uh, you know, I look at Ottawa and what, you know, they just had another game canceled. They're supposed to next play in Vancouver. So th- that's that's challenging, and you, you, you do your best to work around it. So the, the fans are fired up. Uh, I might just leave it at that. Let's just say they're really fired up, and they're 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 looking for answers. But I I think what they're looking for are wins. You know, it, it's unbelievable how you know a couple of wins changes things. Um, and that's what the Oilers were hoping to get last night. You know, they got two points in back-to-back overtime losses. Thought, hey, if you win last night, you come into Toronto a victory and you finish the the trip 500, not too bad. But unfortunately, a loss against the Rangers, and now they're trying to salvage uh, the road trip with you know with the win if they can get it tomorrow night. What does this mean for someone like Dave Tippett? Uh, you know, it's it's probably not too difficult for teams right now to cast their eye to, towards Vancouver and say, hey, a coach bump worked for them. Why couldn't it work for us? And you're about to play this marquee game in Toronto. A lot of eyes going to be on it. If it goes poorly, I imagine the temperature is only going to rise. Well, what is his timeline right now? If Or what is his level of job security? Well, I mean, listen, we, we all know that, well, you know, Bruce has kind of screwed it up for everybody because <laughs> <laughs> he's come in and we're expecting a bump, uh, but not like, uh, well, before you know it, it'd be like a month. Uh, usually it's, it's, it's a week, it's two or three games. Um, so Bruce is certainly, and, and good for, you know, Vancouver uh, and good for the Canucks to, to have something to cheer about. Uh, after a difficult start, you know, obviously Ken Holland's the best man to answer that question. But uh, you know, as as if the if the defeat happens again tomorrow, um, then the Oilers. That's the other thing. You know, you used to be able to play and kind of work your way out of it. But at the end of this trip, the Oilers don't play again till next Monday, and then they're off again for another almost week. So you don't have games to work out of it. You do have practice time, uh, which is sometimes more important, I think, than than people think. Because of the schedule, you don't get a lot of practice time where it's a full practice and it's not, not a morning skate where really you're just out there to get your kind of your legs going and your blood uh, pumping. So that, that can help, but you know, in the end, you, you want to win, you want to play, and you can't, you can't win without playing. So uh, I think uh, a win tomorrow night would be a huge victory for the team, for the fans, just to kind of talk everybody off the ledge for now. Like, let's, let's remember where they are. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen this much reaction to a team that, you know, is still in a playoff spot and has still been kind of, you know, moving in the right direction. So we'll, we'll have to see. But tomorrow night is a big night for sure. In the past, when the Oilers have had these dips, a lot of attention goes to Connor McDavid and the way that he's reacting to it. Now, evidently, he's got uh, possibly a COVID situation to deal with in the next 24 hours prior to that game against Toronto. But is this 
another instance where if he does play, that all eyes are going to be on him, whether it's to, to lift the team, as he has done before with a three, four-point night, or the body language doctors might be out to, to analyze how he's feeling about the way things are going. Yeah, sorry, I just missed that. Did you say Leon or Connor, or both? McDavid. Yeah, McDavid. Well, uh, you, you guys may or may not know he, he, at this point, is put into COVID protocol um, as of, well, today. Now, just to kind of rewind, so yesterday he didn't skate in the morning, uh, and Dave Tippett said that it was uh, rest, uh, you know, energized. He plays a ton, right? He doesn't really need to go to the morning skate all the time. Um, but it was at that point uh, not COVID-related, but today he didn't skate, and now they're saying that him and Derek Ryan um, are, are in COVID protocol, and they are uh, they are attempting to. Sorry, guys, I got phones going all over the place here. Um, they are attempting to to take another test to see if it continues to be positive. So my belief is that those two guys tested positive, and uh, they're attempting to follow up. Uh, they've had. They, like many teams, have had those false positives, and then they turn out to be negative. So, uh, you know, safe to say um, they're hoping that it is negative. Um, we, we really aren't around the players very much anymore with the distance and, um, you know, different buses. And so, we, it's you know, I can't say that, oh, my gosh, I saw him walking around, and, he, you know, he didn't look good. He looked good last night. Uh, McDavid was was skating well, and I I didn't see him close enough to suggest that his face told a different story or his his body. Um, but something, uh, including the test, isn't right right now. But the Oilers are hoping that changes uh, come tomorrow night. Uh, the busiest man in hockey, Gene Principe, will let you uh, go answer those phones and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Gene, thanks a lot. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care and happy New Year. Thanks, that Gene. is uh, Gene Principe uh, from Sportsnet, Oilers host and reporter, and uh, busy guy getting ready for the big uh, Toronto spectacle uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. Man, it is it, it's tough for them, and it, it does feel like I imagine for Oilers fans, it's a great question to ask them. It, it, it does feel like a self fulfilling prophecy for them of like man, like it's been fifteen years, fifteen years of this, and things go wrong, and and. It's this constant of, well, we're hoping a 42-year-old goaltender can be available for us. But also, <laughs> hey, this guy that we shouldn't have signed to a contract, maybe he can hold the door for us. And let's have these half measures around the, the, the entire of the roster and hope our full measure in, in Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl carry us the rest of the way. It's just, it, it's it's never been a succinct, coherent uh, follow through of a plan. It's this constant acceleration of ideas uh, too often from from Edmonton. It's unreal, and they've done it under the scrutiny uh, that the the legacy, I guess, of those cups. I mean, how many games have you been to here in Vancouver when they play the Oilers, and there are Oiler fans there who are telling you how many Stanley Cups that they've won, mm-hmm. and it's it's that that's the standard. And I know, like, that's the standard that Canucks fans would like to hold the Canucks to. But they don't. We don't have that history here, uh, and in Edmonton, I think that adds another layer to the reaction that happens when they have these streaks, and they have the player who's was tabbed as the next one, and and has surpassed expectations. I would say, uh, in terms of producing points and and, and being uh, an incredibly dynamic and exciting player to watch and the, the team success hasn't been there, and it does feel like the, the part of the reason I asked. 
Gene, that question is that we've we've had these ups and downs with the Oilers, and it always feels like there's a game or two where all eyes are on McDavid, and it's like, okay, let's see how he reacts. And yeah, there's been the occasional frustration on the bench and stuff like that, but most of the time he comes through with three or four points or a couple unbelievable goals, and you, the, it's kind of like a scotch tape over over the problems with this team and it's I, I do feel like he is a uniquely qualified and placed player to really speak out on this you know we've heard him the last year or so speak out on the officiating and saying that he doesn't believe yep. that he's officiated properly and that's that's pretty rare to hear from NHL players in general and certainly players of his stature the next step you would think is to start but you know dropping those bombs about um about the team and and where they're at but we that is that is a bridge that very few NHL players cross uh you know if this was the NBA uh I we might have a James Harden situation where he's just right. completely <laughs> just like you know I I want out and trade me yeah. we don't see that in hockey but he, if if any not that he's going to do it based on everything that we know about Connor McDavid it would be it would be stunning uh, that, that for him to do anything like that, but in his way, it, it's it's got to be on the table at this point, right? I mean, it can't continue on like this for this team. Bick Nazar is real fair. If you got thoughts, send them in six fifty six fifty. We got don't at me coming up at one twenty. Your chance to sound off with your takes uninterrupted. You send them in, we'll read them. We'll do it for you. Uh, also, coming up, we'll play Bruce Boudreaux, uh, his uh, media availability. He just uh, stepped off of the podium. So we'll bring that to you coming up in just a bit. And also next hour, I said we'd do this. Uh, I, I entertained the idea of what an Elias Pettersson trade or, or what players across the league I would be willing to entertain the idea of trading Elias Pettersson. I think it's a terrible idea, but to extend an olive branch to the people that want it, I tried to sit down and said and craft out a list of what that would look like. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll debut that list uh, on the other side in the next hour here on Sportsnet Today on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Get a good feeling, yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. No. You're listening to Sportsnet today on the home of Vancouver hockey, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Nick Nazar, Israel Fair, Hour 2 of Sportsnet today, and you, 650-650, if you want to chime in. Coming up in about 15 minutes, don't at me. You got a hot take? You want to drop it? Send it to us. We'll read it at 120. I got to admit here, low-key confession, I'm an unabashed flowrider stand. That song still slaps. I, I, I think there's a bunch of flowrider songs that are just like, I, I still listen to. I, I'm not sure if it's good music. I just it, it's hard not to listen to it and, and, and get hyped sometimes. Yeah, good beats, good vibes. Yeah, what, what else? Uh, what else could you want? My house is a is a classic. Yeah, that uh, see that was his big comeback, right? Yeah, uh, good feeling. Obviously, low. We, we can't get. It's I don't know. Big uh, big flow rider guy. Big flow rider <laughs> guy. Uh, 
one of the rare R&B artists I I, I didn't get a, a uh, chance to interview. You know, Akon Ti never got a chance to. You know that 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 tier two of of hip hop stars. I uh, never got to uh, talk to Flo Rida. Uh, it's all about they, timing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Pick is our Israel Fair here. Mentioned Bruce Boudreaux had met with media. Here it is. Uh, him talking about uh, he he was he was started off by by uh, talking about the players that are in COVID protocol. Uh, right now for your Vancouver Canucks. Here's Bruce Boudreaux meeting with media. You know, I, I really don't. That sounds silly that I don't know, but uh, I know they got medevaced in last night. Um, but I, I I haven't heard yet or I haven't, uh, I haven't gone to across the hall to find out what the, uh, when they're allowed to skate or what they're allowed to do or what rules there were just, we're following the rules that, uh, uh, and I don't even know what they are, quite frankly, what the feds and, and the BC government and the NHL have all done. And uh, um, But I, I'll find out when, they, like, I want them to skate as quick as possible, but we'll, we'll do whatever the rules say we're allowed to do. I know that uh, the biggest note, the biggest thing that many of us have noticed since you've taken over is just how aggressive this team has been on the four check, both at five on five and on the PK. Can you talk a bit about that in detail? I mean, is it, it's got to be more than just sending additional players up ice. Can you get, can you break down kind of your philosophy on the forecheck? Well, I mean, I, I do believe if you put pressure on teams, they will give pucks over. And, and uh, I mean, it's the offensive part of the game that's fun to the players. So, I mean, um, uh, I've always thought that if you just sent one man in and you allow good teams to make the first, pl- the first pass that eventually you're going to get beat because you're playing, um, uh, prevent defense basically and that never works in my mind and I'd rather go out and try to win the game than to uh, uh, try to be so perfect defensively that that's the way you win so I mean uh, it's being more proactive I guess is my, my um, always thought my goal was and that's what we want to do here and I think it's a fun way to play if you can do it right uh, the players like having offensive chances. They like getting scoring goals. I mean, uh, they take pride in their defense, but I mean, they like scoring goals. Next up, we have Ben Kuzma, Post Media. Hey, Bruce, a couple from me this morning. Um, Quinn Hughes told us at the end of last season that he was going to go home and specifically work on his defensive game. He usually works on the skill set, his hands, things of that nature, which isn't surprising for a gifted offensive player. But we now see him, Bruce, not just angling off guys with his stick and his speed, but maybe putting a shoulder into the guy into the corner, try to get him off balance. Uh, what does that speak to? I know it's only a short book with you, but just his willingness to keep growing his game at every level. Well, it, it certainly says a lot to me. I mean, it, within the first couple of days that I was here, he, he had mentioned to me that, uh, you know, he, about his minus from last year and that is what his plus was at this point, then he wants to keep it going and he takes a lot of pride in it. So, I mean, um, it means that he wants to be the best complete player that he can be. And like, I mean, when he goes home and he talks, his dad was a, was a defenseman and he was my assistant coach in Manchester and he knows the defensive part of the game as well as anybody. And uh, uh, he just has to listen to his dad and, and do what his dad would say. And, and he'd become a very good defensive player. So he's got it right at home um, uh, what to do. But being the kind of guy that he is that wants to be the best, uh, it's, uh, it's something that not every person strives for, but Quinn does. And, and I think his defensive play has 
warranted the fact that now he plays on the penalty killing. Now you can put him on in the last minute when you're leading by a goal. All of these things because he's warranted it. He's fifth in uh, defenseman points, Bruce, and then third in power play uh, categories. What, in your mind, Bruce, what goes into a Norris Trophy candidate? Is it is it both parts of the game? Sometimes people get fixated on the points, and some guys take a more balanced approach. What do you think goes into that consideration? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think uh, the sports, or whoever does, I think the sports writers, but I mean, uh, um, uh, I think points is definitely something that goes into it, unless you're Rod Langway um, back in the day. But uh, I think points also goes along with being on a winning team. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean, last year, uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't uh, Adam Fox was the Norris trophy winner. Cause I think he came out of nowhere to do what he did, but I mean, uh, I think big part of it is being on like when Victor Hedman wins it, he he's gets the points, but he also is on uh, a great team. And, uh, and, and these defensemen make them gr- great teams. And I mean, overall, I mean, you could look at all the numbers. I mean, Quinn Hughes is, you know, I mean, he doesn't have the goals that a lot of defensemen, uh, they, they put a little into they put, that counts for them too. But I mean, he's got the points, he's got the, the plus minus, he's got the, the minutes played. Uh, we just have to win more games and I think he'll be up there. We'll go to Rob Simpson, Vancouver Hockey Mail. Hey, Gabby, you're kind of riding off that. For every Ray Bork, there's a Don Sweeney. So right now for your Hughes, you've got a Luke Shen who not afraid and a guy who just has exudes a certain confidence now that he's won two Stanley Cups. But can you just talk about that relationship and his importance? Well, I, you know what? Uh, I think Luke is <laughs> not only a great person, but he, he – plays within himself which is really important and he knows his role when he when he has to do it and I think he gives Quinn a lot of protection um, just being out there but he simplifies his game when he's playing a simple game he is so effective and I'm sure that's what John Cooper strived uh, with him um, when he was in Tampa Uh, a lot of times he was the seventh defenseman only played 10-12 minutes a game but he did those 12 minutes as well as, as anyone. And uh, I look at him now, he's playing 20 minutes a game and he's doing the same thing for us. So, I mean, uh, uh, if he can continue to, to continue to, to do the simple things, make the good first pass, block shots, clear out front of the nets, I don't see why we wouldn't continue to play him as much as we're playing him now. And uh, when you first arrived, we talked about, oh, you know, didn't have the benefit of training camp. But between the Christmas break and this break, do you feel like, you know, kind of no excuses by the time this week's over? Everybody should have everything you need to know down and moving forward. It's that's the case. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't believe there should have been any excuses to start off with. But I mean, uh, we've had enough practice time that uh, they now know, I, I would think, how I want them to play and and what I expect of them to do. So, I mean, um, no excuses. As long as we play as hard as we can, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll be very happy with that. And we'll take a follow-up from Farhan Lalji. Uh, just one more here, Bruce. Um, Elias Pettersson, you know, what were your expectations when he first got here? I think one of the things that's been really impressive about the team's turnaround is that you guys have managed to do it without necessarily a huge increase in production from PD, what are you seeing in his game in the nine games you've been here and where it's trending? Well, you know what? Uh, 
I think with a young guy like that, uh, he gets frustrated when things aren't going right. And uh, um, we're trying to tell him to, to, you know, just to, he's got to ignore that and just keep pushing through. And uh, we, we talked about, you know, I mean, his work ethic in, in practice, if it, it gets harder and harder and, and he pushes himself, it's going to really benefit him. And I think this week, especially uh, you've seen a real increase in how hard he works. He, he's a, he's a young man that, that wants to be great. And sometimes he just doesn't know completely how to go about it. I mean, he's never complained about who he's playing with, whether it's a first year guy or, or a guy that doesn't really fit with him sometimes, but I mean, um, he, he's going to, he's going to be f- just fine. I've got, uh, no complaints. I know he hasn't scored. So when I go home at night, I'm going, Jesus, when, when Pedersen starts to score, if everybody else can continue to do what they're doing, we'll be a really difficult team to beat. So, I mean, we're getting it done right now without a lot of, uh, uh, scoring input by him, but I, I don't anticipate that to be, uh, the, the case much longer. Bruce Boudreaux, your Vancouver Canucks head coach, meeting with media earlier today, just about a half hour ago. And uh, some strong words there for Elias Pettersson at the uh, end. And it it does kind of cater to his personality. You kind of think of what we think we know of Elias Pettersson. There's a certain level of, you know, perfectionist to his game. And, you know, when you're young and you're a, a, a a star player and a lot comes at you very fast you want to keep pushing and keep getting trying to get better and keep pushing that ceiling and when it doesn't go right and you have that mentality and again it's a sign of a certain level of immaturity i guess to some degree of saying hey this is not working when he gets super frustrated that's that's an honest assessment from uh, his head coach right now and there's a lot of attention being paid to him right like Mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing the reports that uh He's one of the last guys on the ice after practice, and he's taking this seriously and comes with the territory. I imagine that uh, a guy like Bruce Boudreaux, who's coached some of the, the most explosive offensive players that we've seen in the NHL in recent memory, would have some familiarity with that. And to, to hear him talk through this availability about the idea that um, he's he's always been a coach that wants to put his foot on the gas. And that's that's separated Bruce Boudreaux from a lot of coaches in the NHL. Uh, and, and he's never shied away from that. And I imagine that specifically with Elias Pettersson, who, as we've seen during his bright spots with Vancouver, uh, is that kind of player, right? Like he's, he's not, he's, the, he's a, a player that thrives off of that kind of energy. And it's not, end to end back and forth like someone uh like Connor mcdavid but it, it's a it's a little bit more tactical but it's still yeah. the same it's the same mindset behind it and and certainly when you talk about big his habits and um in his mental state he's talked about that a ton during his time with the canucks how he attacks different projects in the offseason and improving his game he's he's very uh he's very tactical in that way it's not the same as uh, I guess some of the old stories of hearing guys, you know, just trying to play th- through it. Uh, he's he's such a cerebral player that I think it, it, it it's a good mix, and it's it's why, the, other than the upside that he has as a franchise type player, it's why there's attention being paid to it because we know at this point that there is there's a method behind what Elias Pettersson is doing to try to break out of this, and 
it, it adds another level of, of intrigue and, and I think another level of, of expectations and attention. There's no raw power to his game, and, and, and I don't just mean strength and, and bodying guys. It, it, it's also a certain level of, you know, he he's a good, uh, a fast skater, but he's not explosive like your McKinnons or your McDavid's or your Barzell's of the world. He's, you know, he, he can play physical, but he's not going to crash through guys, and he, he doesn't have the body type of a... Barkov or a dry sidle and it, 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 that raw that that physical profile in general of for Elias Pettersson isn't necessarily there and so he, he does again he does have to win with his mind and he can we've seen it through long stretches of time he can absolutely play that way and have success and and dominate the game from a thinking level and kind of rise above the physical profile, like so many other players have done before him. I know, you know, Datsu's game's name gets mentioned. Bergeron's name gets mentioned. There's, there's a ton of players who play that style. Ryan O'Reilly's another guy, you know, although there's a certain physical element to his yeah, game, but yeah. it's, it's, it's that level of, and Braden point I would put into this category as sure. well right now of players who, you know, don't necessarily tick all the physical attributes, but, you know the, the the easy the easy way to term this is hockey sense, right? Just yeah. just knowing where to be, knowing the timing of the plays, understanding space, understanding where threats are coming from, both offensively and defensively. When you try to win in that fashion, and then your natural skill, like he's got natural skill, obviously that's that's where his his uh, his physical attributes will show up, but it's tough to dance around five guys all the time without the <laughs> the skating speed and the reach and and the and the body size, all that sort of stuff. It's it's hard to just manipulate guys purely through deception and skill. You have to do it in other in other fashions, and he does it through you know utilizing the other nine guys on the ice. It's it's how does one player skating this way influence a defender, and how can I manipulate that space and do either direction, either via pass or with my own skate. It's it's that sort of stuff that Elias Pettersson operates at. It's it's that 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 perfectionist uh, personality that in moments like this, where we see the obvious frustrations, he misses the net on a scoring chance, and he he slaps a stick on the ice. Yeah, I, I think I think it screams out that it's it's that type of uh, uh, mental makeup. I know you love the idea of uh, you know a player building out their traits and and the way mm-hmm. that. Uh, what what their strengths are, and I think when I, I look at Pedersen and some of the other players that you name there, they're a bit more difficult to pin down beyond just raw production than a player like McDavid, based on his speed, or a player like Austin Matthews because of that shot. And I think Pedersen's shot is obviously still a big strength for him, and we've seen it yep. in flashes this year. We haven't seen that consistently, but it's not like. You would look at the Sedins and the way that they play and the way that their their game evolved. And when they were at the peak of their powers, they did something better than anyone else. And it was identifiable to the eye, uh, the way that they were able to hold on to the puck and cycle the puck in the offensive zone. Even a player like Sidney Crosby, who doesn't have you know this whirlwind skill set, it's not like he's the fastest skater out there. It's not like he's got the hardest shot, though. You know, he's he's a good skater and he's got a good shot. But there's there's a certain command that he has when he's on the ice. Um, there's a certain presence that you see, and and with Pedersen, because of that kind of shapeshifter nature that you described, right? Like he's he's in and out of traffic. Sometimes he's this, sometimes he's that. 
when the production's not there, the criticism and the concerns start to get raised because it, it, it's so much easier to identify with a player like McDavid or Crosby or the Sedins in their prime or Alex Ovechkin uh, who have that one distinguished trait that you know uh, they can rely on. Or you could even, you mentioned a player like Patrick Kane and, and the kind of control that he has over the puck. Pedersen's still developing there. And, and we've seen elements of that game. We've seen the shot. We've seen the body control. We've seen the ability to uh, win back pucks and be that kind of puck retriever that that's, was it made him stand out at the time because it was really rare for a player of his experience and of his age to have that kind of skill set. But, the, you know, the next step is is leaping and, and having that consistently and having it be in a place where uh, it's, you know, indisputably one of the best skills for a player in the league uh, like some of those other guys. Uh, let's get to it. 120. We do it on Sportsnet today. It is don't at me. Your takes uninterrupted. Don't at me. Text in your submissions to 650-650. Send in your text to 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I'll, I'll debut my uh, my Pedersen trade list. If, if you were to be foolish and entertain the idea... I'll, 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 I, I tried to uh, walk down that path last night. We'll do it on the other side uh, after we talk to Nick Shook. But if you got takes right now, you want to drop them in 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Don't at me, Izzy. This is just this is just me talking. We are doing our uh, tiered list right now. Don't at me. The Canucks will be at the top of that third tier by game 82. Ooh, Bruce, there it is. <laughs> Bick, there it is. Bruce, there they are. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, actually, b- before we go to the books, I should say, do you have one? No, let's go to the text box. All right. All right, 650, 650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, this one, don't at me. Uh, the Oilers would be a perennial cup contender if they managed to land Jacob Markstrom. That is Colin from the Caribou. Uh, it, 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 look, they have a host of problems, and you know Mike Smith has played well when he has played uh, the, 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 this this last calendar year, and perhaps that masks a certain level of issues. But man, the, the, it feels like they just need like one other thing to go right to complement McDavid and Drysaitel, and they just haven't gotten that. Whether it's goaltending, whether it's defense, whether it's sustainable bottom six play, they just need one other thing to go right to accentuate the highs of McDavid and Drysaitel. They just they just haven't gotten that. <laughs> yeah, it would it, that would certainly help, Vic. Uh, I mean, Markstrom's Markstrom's been good uh, this year. Numbers are great. Last year, I know he tailed off, but he he started off strong, and there were a lot of problems with that Calgary team before Daryl Sutter came back to coach. So uh, that's a that's that is a what if for them uh, because as we've said with, with the Oilers, man, like you're talking about relying on an old Mike Smith to, to play at the level that he has shown that he can play at, but to, to stay healthy is a, is a completely other question. And then a goalie who's been so, so up and down in his, in his career there in Edmonton and Koskinen. Uh, this one, uh, don't at me. If we're talking about trading Pedersen before we trade Miller or even Besser, then we've really lost the plot. That is from Rager, uh, 650, 650 
into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Look, I'm not advocating for any trades here, but you know, we, we get these text messages about, oh, they got to trade Patterson and all this sort of stuff, and I get a bit worked up over it. I think it's a, a crazy idea, but I, I will, I will do that crowd a favor today, and. That's what I spent my night doing last night, trying to map out a, a list of appropriate assets I would entertain the idea for. That's that's all I did last time. And I, I think as you go through it, you'll see how short that list is. And perhaps you agree, perhaps you disagree, but we'll we'll debut that later on this hour. Don't at me. Uh, 650, 650, Marcus and Gibsons. Antonio Brown had Hall of Fame talent with an XFL attitude. That is uh, Marcus and Gibson's. Uh, Schefter just tweeted, he hasn't uh, been cut yet. Right. Officially, he's, anyway. He, he's still technically on the team. So, I don't know. Maybe uh, six around? Oh, AB? man. AB back? Just don't ask Bruce Arians about it. <laughs> I was trying to think of other players. Because we talked yesterday in the in the the, uh, the the player comp I mentioned as far as a demonstrative way to leave a team was Patrick Waugh. But now, like, Patrick Wall, like, went on to continue playing and, yep. you know, have lasting memories. Th this is likely the last play or the last moment we see Antonio Brown on, a, on an NFL field. Is that closer to, like, Zidane? Oh, man. Right? Because, like, <laughs> like, that's the lasting image now, right? It is for a generation, man, for sure. Kudabul. I, <laughs> I, I just can't think of any, like, other ways of the guys that have ended their careers in in spectacular fashion in like game that. right because yeah. uh, i could go to one of your idols roy Keane, and i i it yes. wasn't i guess the complete end of his career but walking out of a world cup yeah well f famously leaving manchester united after that like yeah I was, yeah sure I, I, the, the world cup one was epic because the the, the the big he was upset about the balls too. or something? Disgraceful well, balls? It, it was any number of things. It was the training pitch that Ireland had at the uh, O2 World Cup. And then he, he had a, a bout with... Uh, Mick uh, McCarthy? Yeah, Mick McCarthy. That extended back to the 94 World Cup. And it got yeah. re-brought up. And it, it was a host of issues. It wasn't just like the trainings. But it was a host of issues. But the moment that stands out is he's at the airport in... uh in South Korea. Korea, I think it was, yeah. And he bends over to pick up his bags, and someone takes a picture, and the fire exit sign was right above him. So it's like an iconic picture. It says exit and Kino. It's like a perfect moment. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> uh, don't at me. Uh, Canucks uh, make the playoffs via a play attorney after COVID suspends the season. That is Greg from Servin, uh, Surrey, who is uh, going full, full dark side there of uh, another bubble tournament uh, pending for uh, the NHL. Uh, let's hope not. Yeah, let's hope that. Uh, all right, we got to run to break here. Some really good text. We'll try to read a couple more on the other side here. We'll talk to Nick Shook as well from NFL.com. Big Ben wrapping up his uh, at Pittsburgh career. They got one more game to go, uh, but uh, he played his last game at Heinz Field. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens uh, with with Ben Roethlisberger potentially. If if it, if it's fully done or if it's. Uh, Maybe just kind of being dramatic, the, the classic Ben Roethlisberger way. I have an injury, but I'm coming back in three plays. Don't worry about it. Uh, but also, what is his legacy, and what do the Cleveland Browns do with Baker Mayfield right now? Uh, it's all on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You know I know how to make stop as I fall 
listening to Sportsnet Today on the home of Vancouver hockey, Sportsnet 650. the show it is Vic Nazar and Israel Fair here on Sportsnet today Sportsnet 650 uh, we'll talk to Nick Shook in just a moment about uh, week 17 in the NFL and uh, that game last night it was uh, I, I had it on in the background I didn't uh, intentionally watch uh, that closely uh, Big Ben's uh, farewell uh, tour. I, I was never a massive uh, Roethlisberger guy. Um, obviously, you know, star level quarterback and everything like that. But mm-hmm. you know, stylistically, his his game never really appealed to me. Uh, but obviously, he had a ton of success. Now there are some off the field things as well, and it, it, it kind of brings up the question of overall, like, what is like, truly like what is Big Ben's legacy now? Because because he's part of that group that. That, that second tier of quarterbacks that all had to play under the Manning and Brady era, sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle. But he did, he did the thing that, you know, like Phil Rivers couldn't do, whereas he, he won two Super Bowls and he, he, he got to the big game and, and managed to, to, to walk away with uh, some championships. He's, he's probably going to walk into the Hall of Fame, but like contextually, everything looks so odd in the era of Manning and Brady. A friend of mine texted me during the game kind of poking at Ben Roethlisberger's legacy and said he went through the numbers and the touchdown interception ratio is not particularly impressive and he's, he's got to be overrated. And I sent back the shrug emoji with rings. Like he's yeah. he won, he won titles. He was a young player uh, for, for the first one, uh, which, uh, you know, Seattle fans don't need a reminder of that. And uh, then he, he was kind of, he's kind of like that typical guy. He, he's known a uh, typical guy that was known to have, like, he, he made the big plays. He made the big yep. s- throw in, in the second Super Bowl. And in that Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell era, they were really explosive offense for a couple of years there. And he, as the league opened up, you know, he sort of opened up as, as a player that could throw 30 plus touchdowns in a year and, and be that kind of dynamic quarterback. It didn't last as long as uh, someone like Tom Brady, uh, for example. Uh, he, he kind of, I think, is clearly beloved in that city for, for the championships, uh, even if that legacy is complicated off the field. Um, and it was the kind of player, I think, uh, and maybe rare from quarterbacks, though, I think we did see this in earlier generations with another Pittsburgh guy, Terry Bradshaw. You could look at Troy Aikman, you know, championship guys that did what they had to do uh, to get there. Uh, I don't know how much of that is, is the, the winner guy myth, but when you when you read about it, when you when you watch NFL films and stuff like that, that is uh, that is definitely front and center. And, and Ben Roethlisberger is uh, his legacy, at least to me, is is kind of firmly with those guys, you know, not among. Uh, the most dynamic players to play, play the position, though uh, pretty impressive at, at the physicality. He was the kind of guy that just he could stand in the pocket forever uh, and, and took so many hits and didn't get taken down and was part of some big rivalry games against Baltimore when they were such a ferocious defense. So he's he's not a first-tier guy for me, uh, but there's a conversation because of the championships and because of some of that, um, some of that ability that, that we saw for him to, to make those big plays. 
Well, let's talk to uh, Nick Shook about it, uh, writer at NFL.com. Uh, Nick, we're just discussing kind of the, the legacy of Ben Roethlisberger. And I was just kind of saying, like, everything is, is so odd under the context of uh, QBs that had to play in the era of uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And you can throw Drew Brees in there. And I guess Aaron Rodgers as well. Some, some quarterbacks have had massive staying power that are rewriting the record books. And even when you have the accomplishments of a Ben Roethlisberger or even an Eli Manning, two guys that both won two quarterback or two Super Bowls. They're, they're franchise quarterbacks, and they're so difficult to find. But sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle when you're you're playing in an era with those other great quarterbacks. What is Ben Roethlisberger's legacy to you? I think it starts in the Super Bowls. I mean, the guy won two out of three. Um, you know, he didn't win his most recent one, and then the Steelers weren't able to get back in the final decade of his career. But it was consistency. You know, we talk so much about how the Steelers were never below 500 under Mike Tomlin. Well, they also were never below 500 in that same span with Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. We saw how important he was to that team's fortunes when he was knocked out for the season early a couple of years ago, and they had to go with Mason Rudolph and uh, Devlin Hodges. And and overall, you know, just reliability. This is a guy who came from the Mid-American Conference. He was an Ohio kid. He, he's drafted in the first round by the team, you know, the rival team to the state directly to the east of Ohio, and he leads them to success throughout his career. There were never really very low points. You never questioned his standing with the team, um, and, and he was always going to deliver. Now, granted, his last couple of years, you know, father time has certainly caught up to him, and he has not been the same guy, and it is time for him to move on from professional football, but for the majority of his career, he was already, or he was always a, a, a reliably effective quarterback and not just a game manager, but somebody like you guys said, who could throw you to victories, even throw you to a Super Bowl title with that pass to San Antonio Holmes in one of the most thrilling Super Bowls, I think of the last, you know, 15, 20 years against the Cardinals. And, and, and that combined with the statistical production and the consistency, I think is enough to get him into the hall of fame. And, and I don't know how much more you really have to say about a guy who's going to end up wearing a gold jacket one day. In that era of, of quarterback plays, big mentioned with Brady and Manning and then Rogers and Breeze and uh, Roethlisberger is kind of the one that, that doesn't really have kind of, a, I guess, a legacy beyond the championships and, and what he did in Pittsburgh. Uh, but he, like you said, he's going to end up in the hall of fame and he's going to have uh, that, that legacy with the Steelers. It, 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 he does seem like a harder player beyond that to kind of fit into the, the kind of the all-time rankings, right? If you were doing a list or, or, or how, like, how do you think that he'll be remembered when people start to look at these numbers and how much the numbers have changed really while, while he was playing and he, he, he evolved as a quarterback as we saw towards the, the latter part of his career and, and the Steelers changed their philosophy. Uh, but he d does seem like a guy that is, uh, is a bit of a symbol for, for, the, for how much the position overall has changed over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, and I think that kind of is how we're going to see him in hindsight, too. You know, I think as time goes on, we'll reflect and, and maybe appreciate him more than we did in the moment because he wasn't ever in that elite top two or three, but he was always in the top ten. He was always a guy that the Steelers never had a question about, that they were consistently considered to be contenders, not only for the division, but often for the AFC crown as well because they never had to worry about whether he was going to show up whether he was going to play well um, for them. You know, he, he just wasn't a question mark. And I think as we continue forward and we watch the quarterbacks change and we watch teams scramble over and over again to try to find a replacement, spend a top five pick on a guy he doesn't work out, they replace him with another top five pick, you'll appreciate what Roethlisberger did in his career more 
because the Steelers never found themselves in that position. And I think they're going to find themselves in that position for the first time since drafting him when it comes to starting this offseason and going into next year, and they're going to realize just how valuable he was and how important he was to the franchise if they haven't already, which I think they have. And and I think that's how we're going to see him as a whole is, is this is, again, this is a guy who was completely reliable. He was a guy who was always going to deliver. Um, and he's always going to have you in a position to potentially win, whether that turned out or not. You know, the Patriots had something to say about it a few times. Um, they weren't the only team, the Packers in the Super Bowl as well. Um, but no matter what, they were there. And they were there because he was playing quarterback for them. And sometimes it ended up getting them all the way to the mountaintop. Uh, talking to Nick Shook, uh, writer from NFL.com. I know you're a Cleveland guy, and so last night uh, didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence from Baker Mayfield. What what exactly are Cleveland's options here? He's going into his fifth year, and you know it, it feels like most likely that's what happens if he, he plays out the fifth year of the deal. But do they kind of pull the L.A. Rams method here and say, you know what, Jared Goff, you are our guy. We'll trade you with draft picks, and hopefully someone takes you. Is that something Cleveland tries to explore? What exactly should they be doing at quarterback? Yeah, I think they could explore that the Jared Goff method if if they can find a suitable replacement. You know, I think it really hinges, you know, that that potential outcome very much hinges on what happens with Deshaun Watson and his legal matters because – I could see them, I think Albert Greer reported this a couple weeks ago, I could see them very much in the conversation for making such a move because they're a team that otherwise believes is good enough to contend, and they did not get enough out of Baker Mayfield this year in terms of performance, especially in reliability. Of course, he had the injury, so I think it makes it difficult to evaluate the entire season on its face. I think you have to always include the disclaimer that, well, he had that torn labrum, and he had a bum knee, and he had a bad foot, and, and you know everything else that he was dealing with. Um, they had an injury at right tackle, which was completely exposed last night. Uh, they had to shuffle in different guards and different guys at different positions because of injuries and because of the COVID list. You know, there was just never any consistency or reliability in a lot of fronts, but it started with the quarterback who, you know, I think that shoulder has something to do with it. You know, it has something to do with the way that he throws the football and his accuracy because it's a guy coming out of Oklahoma who was known for his accuracy. He shined early in his career, especially as a rookie, because of his accuracy he got away from that in his second year because he wasn't as accurate, but also because he was taking, you know, shots that in risks that he didn't need to take in an offense in a team that was completely just, you know, dysfunctional. Then he came back to earth and, and succeeded again last year. It's hard to look at last year's production, last year's performance, compare it with this year and say, is this the same guy? The big difference there is the injuries, of course, which makes his evaluation incomplete. You're lucky to have the fifth year and to play out the string if that's the route you want to take. If you feel like you need to make a change and there's an opportunity to upgrade, ideally, you know, you know, potentially it's the Watson thing. We'll see what happens there. Like I said, he's got the legal matters to resolve as well. So, you know, that kind of has to be, you know, taken care of first before they would potentially make any sort of deal. Um, otherwise, you, you have that last year to figure out who he is. And, and you, you know, I give him credit for fighting through the injuries to play. Uh, I really do. I think he won a lot of fans that way, but I also think he lost a lot of fans with his lack of reliability and his, his penchant for turning the ball over, especially late in the season. Um, and, and, you know, Brown fans, you know, they expected a lot of this year and they didn't get it. And, and it's, it's a really sour taste in their mouths that they woke up with today and that they're going to deal with next week in a game that doesn't matter, that they were hoping was going to matter a whole lot and into an off season that has a lot of question marks including about their head coach who did not have a good year as a play caller. And you can say what you want to say about how the team played, you know, in relation to Baker Mayfield, but it wasn't just him last night. It wasn't just him. It was his offensive line, not getting defensive linemen's hands down, allowing 
you know, close to a half dozen passes batted down at the line. It was six drops by my count on the part of his pass catchers. You know, Austin Hooper, uh, Rashard Higgins, the list goes on, guys who weren't bringing in passes that were catchable balls. So it's a team effort, of course. It does start with the quarterback, and I think he's under a ton of pressure, not only to get healthy, but to prove that it was an anomaly and not who he is and avoid um, a parting of ways that seemed unfathomable a year ago at this time. Would you? Which way would you lean if if you had to pick uh, when it comes to Mayfield and if, whether you know it's getting that next year and, and seeing how that plays out? Uh, like, is is there a future, like a realistic future for him? Even acknowledging the you know the Watson circumstances and maybe the merry-go-round of NFL quarterbacks, does it make sense uh, long term uh, in in any way? I mean, to keep Baker here. In Cleveland, yeah, if if he can bounce back and play healthy, you know, have a, put together a healthy season and be productive like he was in 2020, then it does make sense. But that's a big question mark. And if you have an opportunity to upgrade at the position with, like I said, a guy like Watson. Now, I'm not I'm not in the camp that would like, you know, say go after Aaron Rodgers, for example, if he's going to be available, which it doesn't really sound like he's going to be available at this point. I'm not in that camp. That feels like a stopgap type of thing. Um, I mean, I know it's paid off well for the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, but that's kind of a unique situation. Um, it's got to be somebody who's young and who has a bright future that you can rely on as your franchise quarterback because this team has gone through every iteration possible of trying to find the guy at quarterback before Baker Mayfield. He was the only constant for the last four years is that you didn't have to ask the question about quarterback anymore, which is always the number one question with the Browns since they came back to the league in 99. So if you can't upgrade with a young guy with a promising future, then you ride it out. And, and if he plays like he did in 2020, again in 2022, while he's healthy and everybody else comes back healthy and they avoid the pitfalls, the many issues that they ran into this year, then, yeah, there is a future. But it is, like I said, it's a big question mark. And I know, you know, we have a recency bias where we, we go off of what you've done for me lately. And, and a lot of people have already forgotten what he did in 2020. I mean, we went into the last offseason talking about Baker as a potential top 10 quarterback. I mean, he was pretty good. He wasn't lighting it up for statistically, but he – was a reliable passer who moved the ball for them and made them a legitimate contender that a lot of people, including myself, had picked to potentially play in a Super Bowl, and he wasn't that guy. He wasn't close to that guy this year. So he's going to have to return to that in his fifth year if he's got any future. And I think that they're that's probably the plan unless they have an opportunity to upgrade out, outside of the building. And, and that tends to get a little wild um, – and sometimes it's unexpected. So right now I would say, yeah, they play out the fifth year and hope for the best. And if not, then, well, if, if not, then they're looking at another disappointing season and, and bigger changes could even be on the horizon. He is uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com, writes uh, great stuff. Uh, Nick, thanks a lot for joining us today, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, that Nick. That is uh, Nick Shook joining the show here. Uh, yeah, very interesting stuff and, and, and very delicate spot uh, the Cleveland Browns are in. What do they do? Do they trade off of their quote-unquote franchise quarterback? It's a, a conversation uh, similar to Vancouver. Do they quote-unquote make a, uh, entertain an idea of, of moving off of Elias Pettersson? Now, I think it is the height of foolishness to, to entertain, even entertain the idea. Uh, although, hey, there's there's players that are always available that if if Connor McDavid for Elias Pettersson straight up was an idea, yeah, you do that. But uh, as far as finding functional hockey trades, I, I don't know how many there are. And so, you know, we, we get this a lot in the post game show, uh, Izzy, and and throughout the day, you, you've done shows and you've seen people text in of oh, uh, Elias Pettersson's never going to be what people think he oh, is. Oh yeah, 
they 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 got to trade him. So I think I think that's foolish. But you know, rather than to to, to say terrible idea, let's never discuss it, and and you're you're an idiot for bringing it up. I spent some time last night only looking at centers, and we can kind of go through the rest of the players too here. But only looking at centers of guys that I would legitimately, if you said their name was available and it would cost you Elias Pettersson. These are the only centers I would make the move for. All right? So that I think there's the obvious list of McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Matthews, and Barkov. I, I think that's the obvious list, right? It, it's hard to dispute any of those. I think you would add in Braden Point easily into that conversation. I would, me personally, probably put Sebastian Ajo into that list. And Matt Barzell would be on this list as well. Now, the, 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 the latter three would kind of be in the same tier as Pedersen, so I'm here to entertain the conversation. Okay. The conversation. But essentially, it's it's McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Matthews, Barkov, Point, Ajo, Barzell. The only other people I might include in this, one is Jack Eichel. Eichel, but, yeah, I was going to yeah, say. I, I think that's an automatic one, but you know, with the health and everything like that, I think it's fair to question it. The only other person I would put on this list. Trevor Zegras. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's in this tier, but he's not above Elias Pettersson to me. Okay. But it is Sidney Crosby. Now, I know it's an, it's an older player, but that level of superstardom, I think, brings a – it's the same it's the same conversation we have with Jim Rutherford and, and Bruce Boudreaux. There's, like, instant credibility to having someone who's had that amount of success. And even if it's only five, six years – I think I would entertain the idea. I don't know if I would like it, but I think he deserves to be on this list. Is Wayne Gretzky not available? <laughs> but I, I think he just deserves to be on this list because if you get six years out of it, five years out of it, the, the ramifications of what that means for everyone around you and your organization, I think, is a big deal. I mean, that's that's banking on a lot. Oh, sure, but I, I, I know this, and I know this is a hypothetical, and that in yes. in a in a more realistic environment, uh, it would be, it would probably be one of the three guys toward the end of that list where we yes. we, we we would dig in and have you know points on both sides uh, that that people could get entrenched with. That's the only one I feel great unease about, though. I will say, but but just for the sake of it, it's like it, it would feel weird to turn down a trade to acquire Sidney Crosby. Even at this age. <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying. A year from now, you might have a different conversation, but he's still such a polished such a polished player. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, after you know a bit of a slow start and he missed a bunch of games at the start of the year through injury and, and through COVID, uh, once they started getting on a roll and they came through here and he was highly impressive. Uh, you had, he had the dagger goal on the, uh, on the Jim Benning era, uh, scored, scored the last goal <laughs> before, oh, yeah. before the firings. Yeah. Was that um, a bigger goal or the golden goal? Scored from a similar area too. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but, but he, again, like he, 10 guys, like, like that's the list, 10 guys, 10 guys. And who, who's the second oldest guy on your list? Uh, good question. I didn't, uh, check the ages. I would, cause I mean, just, uh, Markov? You know, yeah, and he's not. He's 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 not 26. thirty. Yeah, yeah, so that's a huge gap, right? But like, you don't have anybody in that kind of gap between him and and Crosby. No. But but like essentially, that's what it is. Like, 
and look, if I'm wrong rating Elias Pettersson that high, I'm comfortable being that wrong. But I think like that's the list of when, when you track through like, hey, these number one centers across the league. Once you get to that stage, like to, to me, that's the bona fide list of number one centers that can do all the things or, or score at such an exponential level that it's it's worth the reward of them being just kind of baseline defensively. After that, then it's like I didn't include Patrice Bergeron on the list. I know he's got a great history, but like that's mm-hmm. the age. He's too old for you. I, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah. So that rules out Gretzky as well. <laughs> I didn't include Anze Kopitar in this. I didn't include Ryan O'Reilly. Evgeny Malkin's not in this in this list here. Okay, that's Ryan the, O'Reilly would be a, a fascinating one because uh, I guess age-wise he's kind of in between the top yeah. end guys that you have there and Crosby correct and you wouldn't I, you, despite the pedigree despite uh, all the intangibles and the defensive attributes that that we know that he has that's not one that you would entertain no again I, I, he's in the same tier do you have concerns team. over his uh durability uh just, you know not not necessarily durability just high-end offensive production okay because I, I think he's capped out he's he's about a 65 point player right he had a great season once in st louis 77 mm-hmm. but that to me is like that's his career year I, he's not likely to hit that number again especially on the wrong side of 30 turning 31 soon i look at patterson i think yeah 77 should be a number he should be able to reach regularly so there's just the high end that you just won't get with patterson versus o'reilly now, the, the only other guys really that on this list that kind of interest me are like, yeah, Zeke Rissy Mansion, Jack Hughes, um, Rupe mm-hmm. Hintz would be on this list for me. But that's that's really about it. I, I, I couldn't come up with enough names to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to do it for like Sean Couturier or John Tavares. No, because those guys, those guys are too old now, too. Yeah, it, it's like that's the group. I, I came up with 10 names only at center. Now, if, you, if we go through it and they say, like, hey, Kucherov and Panarin and mm-hmm. Kaprizov and Hedman and Makar, sure, we can add a couple of more players. But that's it. I'm only trading elite for elite. I'm not doing it for depth. Yeah, that, that's fair. And I, I think it going through that exercise in that way helps frame where Patterson is at right now and also adds a little bit of bumper room for, for upside, but within his peer group, like not making that Kopitar comparison or that Crosby jump. Uh, 650, 650. Lots of texts coming in. Uh, keep coming on uh, with those thoughts. We'll, we'll pitch a couple by uh, Yannick Hansen as well. He joins us next. The Honey Badger here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet. 650. to get behind the wheel, but only one rider. I just feel got me swimming like a diver. Take let go, I got fans in Okinawa. You're listening to Sportsnet today on the home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. What is up? Welcome back to the final hour of Sportsnet today. We will make way at 3 o'clock for the People's Show. Satyar Shah, Dan Riccio, Randeep Janda. Go subscribe to that podcast as well on your local podcatchers. Five-star reviews only as well. Always appreciate it. Uh, Halford Bruff, you can subscribe to them as well. Canucks Hour on top of all of that as well. Uh, with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance. Uh, Pick Nazar and Israel Fair here. We'll talk to Yannick Hansen in just a moment. Uh, text inbox. Lively right now. 
Uh, so people texting in. It's definitely more than ten players. Well, we said centers. We said centers. I, I entertained. I entertained the idea for all the people that texted in about trading Elias Pettersson. I. I, I I don't agree with it, but I entertained the idea, and I came up with 10 centers uh, that uh, would interest me. There's maybe some other guys across the league, but I still think it's a bad idea. But uh, for all the people that like to text in, I, I tried to come up with 10 names. So uh, we'll continue that conversation uh, throughout the rest of the hour, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pitch it by Yannick Hansen as well, uh, who joins us now. Uh, long-time NHLer, long-time Vancouver Canuck. You hear him regularly on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Yannick, Elias Pettersson's going through a handful of struggles right now. Now, we did get a point the other game, but still people uh, want to see more. They want to see him to return to uh, his premier status. And, you know, I, I've kind of said the phrase of uh, a player is struggling, but your, your instant reaction can't be to trade him. And we get a ton of that when the Canucks or when, when he struggles, even when they win. We get a ton of people that are fed up with uh, what Elias Patterson is doing. When you see it, you know, like what do you see as his biggest struggle right now? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to pinpoint because I felt like those six games before they kind of got shut down that, that he had turned a little bit of a corner. Uh, that line with him, Garland, and, and Pod Colson was, was really playing well. They were creating a ton of opportunities every single game. They weren't scoring on all of them, but they were in there every game, and you could kind of, okay, this is actually a line who could drive procession and, and put up some serious numbers they come back from this little break and it's not the same. It's not clicking. They're not doing the same thing. Um, Besser all of a sudden catches the virus again, which obviously is is just bad luck. And I kind of thrown the lines into a blender a little bit. Um, But again, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, He, he, he seems like sometimes he's, he's a step off and when he's on his game, he's physical. He's throwing these reverse hits. He's going through guys. Um, about why it's it's clicking sometimes and why it's not, um, it, it's very hard to pinpoint. If you could that, uh, we wouldn't be discussing this on, on on the radio. We'd be having a job with the Canucks right now. Um, again, for trading, I, I'm not a big uh, big fan of armchair and GM uh, throwing out mm. trades and, and stuff like that because it's it's almost impossible to do. It needs to be the right fit, the same money, uh, and who's given up on a 22 year old. Uh, uh, center who's put up a point a game uh, at this point so no he needs time uh, to figure out uh, i think when we spoke about this uh, a couple of months ago we were saying the team as a whole needed time to adjust him as well um you need to see where he fits in on the team then the new coach coming in gm uh whatever it might be so there there's no chance you should be moving him right now uh again you don't want to be selling low either uh so it, it's one of those things where Patience, 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 and hopefully the team keeps playing well, keeps winning, keeps putting him in a position where he can contribute to a team that's playing well and he can turn a corner because by no means should he have forgotten how to play hockey over the last uh, six months or a year or whatever you will. Because of the expectations, because of his potential, Yannick, he's the type of player that when the Canucks are practicing and they're going to get a bunch of practices this week because of, of tomorrow night's game being wiped off the schedule for now, Pedersen is getting a lot of attention. People are paying attention to if he's the last guy on the ice. What, what's he working on when he's got individual skill time? As a, a longtime player, when you have 
when you're in a funk and it's hard to exactly identify what's wrong, like what's what's the mindset for a guy like him who we know based on on the way that he talks about his development, he's very methodical. He likes to plan out what he wants to do, but that that can't be easy to do within a season. It seems like that's more of an off season thing. So what? What can a player like him do when he has an opportunity here with, with a few practices uh, to try to, to get that consistency back? Yeah, for first of all, when, when I wasn't playing well, I didn't want practice time. I wanted that next game. I, I wanted to turn that corner. I wanted to start playing better. And, and that's in the game. You can look as good as you will in practice, but, but it's the game that's going to dictate. Um, so again, practice time is all good and well. But, but he needs the game. He, he needs a couple more games where he's scoring the deciding game, uh, winning it in the shootout, um, getting that recognition that those type of players need. And, and they need to be the type of players with the game on their stick. Um, we always used to say, if the game is decided when your best players are playing, you, you'll live with the result. If they can't win it for you, so be it. We're not good enough. But again, a lot of the times when, when those guys are on the ice, they decide the game. It's, it's good for your outcome. So he needs the games. He needs the ice time. He needs the opportunities. Uh, that's the only way out of this this funk, if you will. Again, practice will will help him hone in on the skills. If if there's anything aching him or, or injuries that's holding him back a little bit, then rest time will will, will be there. But again, he's he's 22. He shouldn't have any of these uh, fatigue injuries or things where oh I, I need a rest day to to rest my my body and soul. Like he should be be roaring to go i know it's a different time and and when i was was 22 like i still felt like my ligament was rubber i couldn't get hurt or anything these young guys they're coming in they played pro hockey for yeah pretty much for, for since they were uh, 13 14 years old so it is different and i get that but like these guys they they should be hungry for ice time especially at this age it's it's funny to say that too of of your star players wanting the game on their sticks and all that sort of stuff. But he's a guy that's you know had his minutes reduced. He got taken off power play one, and he and he's gone through you know real adversity of not being that superstar player or not being relied on in key situations. Is is that something that plays to his mentality of you know fighting with confidence throughout this stretch here? Yeah, I think so. Because um, uh, again, I go back to my own experience, and I was go to guy everywhere I played until I came here, uh, until I turned pro, uh, same thing in the minors. So you don't really face that adversity. And and Pedersen, for his perspective, he comes from the Swedish Elite League where he is, what, 17, 18 years old, and is the MVP, no adversity. Steps into the Canucks, uh, rookie of the year, leading the teams in scoring, no adversity. Um, go to the bubble, great playoffs, no adversity. All of a sudden you hit this, and you've never experienced it before. Uh, how am I going to get out of this? Normally, you've had time to uh, to work your way through this, where you haven't needed to be the guy for your team to win. So, like guys aren't looking to you to win the game, but you're you're in a funk. But all of a sudden, this guy he's 22 years old, and and everybody's looking to him to win the games, not single-handedly, but but playing the way he has been. But again, he he's dealing with a lot of things that he hasn't had a chance to to experience himself before that through normal progressions of ups and downs and stuff like that, you will have experienced it. Uh, like I said, when I ran into this stuff, again, I'm not an Elias Peterson type of player, but, but I had faced adversities in the minors a couple of years coming in as a rookie in Vancouver, my first couple of years. So 
by the time you get further down the, the line, you kind of, okay, I know what, what to expect and how to deal with this. And then you can kind of not snap yourself out of it. But, but again, you know that the, it's, it's a matter of time and you do your things right, you will come out of it. Where for his case, maybe, and I'm speculating here, like I said, he hasn't dealt with a lot of adversity. And now it's all of a sudden, it's just piling on. And it is something that he's never had to deal with before so it can be it can be troubling again hopefully he's got some help around him whether it's it's coaching staff management um other players poking at him uh letting him know that hey this this is normal it happens to everybody uh i remember ball going through this his first or second year and uh, i think there was a famous quote there with hank taking him on his wing explaining the same thing happened to him um, and, and all of these players, they go through it. Nobody, nobody skates through the NHL for their for their entire career. So again, find a way through it. Uh, hopefully, get some help, uh, and then he should find his way. We, we were looking about you know the, the Canucks, and you know they, they've they've struggled, and, and they've had this mini the run of success here. And you know the, their success this season has not come at the hands of Elias Pettersson. And you know the point I was making off the top of the show is you know they, the Canucks do have certain edges over this tier of teams that are all fighting for these playoff spots because they have a, a superstar in Elias Pettersson. JT Miller's kind of filling that void up front as a superstar. Quinn Hughes is doing the superstar thing at the blue line. Thatcher Demko is being a superstar in net and rel- Relative to a bunch of teams that are in that middle tier in the Western Conference, you know, Edmonton, they have superstars up front. Their goaltending is failing. Anaheim still feels like a little team that's young, not quite there. Winnipeg, the blue line is a bit suspect. Dallas has had consistency issues. Uh, you know, comparing the Canucks and their superstars versus the rest of those teams there, it feels like this run in, in in the last, you know, 40 some odd games here, the Canucks can make up that gap between them and the rest of the teams based on the superstars that they have. Yeah, and again, that's the same thing, the same question we were we were posed uh, when the season started. Uh, where did they line up? And you take Vancouver and you take uh, centers one, two, three. Um, they're better than just about anybody else in the division. Just about anybody else. Um, they have a number one defenseman. They have a number one goalie. They had all of these pieces um, that you could see, okay, this can be a very successful team. For some reason, it didn't come together in the beginning. They have uh, turned a corner, to say the least, and and now it doesn't look like a trip to the moon, more like a a steep hill up a mountain here for them to climb back in a playoff spot. But but again, it's definitely possible, and and they still have guys that aren't performing. Um, And again, that's nice to know that that your team can take it even a step further. Um, Again, they need to do them at some point, but but just the fact that you still have a couple of... uh, a couple of guys that aren't firing on full cylinders. It bodes well for the team. Um, so I'm saying hopefully this team can, can continue scraping in some wins and it kind of pulls everybody in the same direction. Um, when team is winning, it's easier to, to not be too hard on yourself, look down on upon other players who aren't performing the way they should be. Um, so it doesn't creep into your game just like, okay, this guy isn't pulling his weight. No, we're winning. Everybody's in this together. So that's why, again, you'd like to see him turn this corner because he is going to be a very vital part of this team. Uh, whether you like it or not, you don't want to put too much on, on, a, on a single guy, but your, your number one center should be your number one center. Uh, and again, when he was on his game, you saw what he could do, not just for, for, for winning games and stuff like that, but the entertainment factor. Um, 
guys turning on the TV, going to the rink to, to watch these guys, uh, young kids wanting to be, to be like him. Like that, that's what we need. That's what you want. Now I'm speaking like a fan. Um, again, you want to see these guys succeed because they can do something that they'll make you sit with your jaw dropping at the TV. And that's the nice thing about hockey, what, what it can give to you. So again, we're uh, hoping that that he'll turn it around for for so many reasons, not just the fact that that it'll be nice to to have another uh, weapon in their arsenal. One of those teams just ahead of the Canucks, Yannick, is the the Oilers, and they're they're in a free fall. Uh, they have uh, McDavid, who is at the top of the list in terms of those players that can uh, produce those breathtaking moments on the ice. But right now, and it's been it's been a few weeks now that the wins are not coming. What kind of concern do you have uh, if you were uh, with the Oilers or or what you've seen from seeing them this year? Oh, uh, it's the same story. They have no goaltending. Um... They, 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 I, I, I like the Oilers as a team on paper. I, I feel like they have uh, they have a Darnell Nurse, they have a Barry, uh, they have an old Duncan Keith, um, but but they do have pieces. Um, but but if you don't have goaltending, it doesn't matter. Uh, you give up a, a weak one here and there every other game or every game. It seems like you, you can't win hockey games. Um, they're talking about the same thing. I, I watched quite a bit of that Rangers games yesterday, and, and it's like. Uh, Secondary scoring, what happens when McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't doing their thing? Um, it, it, it's the same thing. Like you're, you've got a patchwork uh, of players trying to fit in. And again, with COVID, um, it seemed like the Oilers had a thing going. They had a cash in focal and who was the last piece of that line. Um, they were starting to generating some stuff as well. Um, but but again, th- that team, it, it's so top-heavy. Um, and they are doing their parts, but... You have no goaltending. Uh, it, it's impossible to win in this league. Um, you'd almost say, like, you want to see about a dry sidle for Demko do that trade just for here's your armchair GMing. Um, would you do that in order to get a goalie in the house? Because um, you, you, you can't win uh, with, with uh, 40-year-old Mike Smith and a, and a Koskinen that are, that are backing up. It's just not feasible. Um, you, you need goaltending and and not just average goaltending in this league because every team no matter how good they are they will give up opportunities um tampa bay best team in the last couple of years in the league they also happen to have the best goaltenders who's bailing them out when their team aren't going when their stars aren't clicking well then you still have this thing that can win you hockey games so so it doesn't matter how how well you're built how good your offense is uh how well your D moves the puck, keep it keep it out of your end. If the goalies um, slunk one out here and there, uh, soft one from the blue line, uh, turns it over, uh, you name it, you cannot win hockey games. So it, it's, it's again, the same old story. I was asked this again earlier today. I said, I don't think they've had a, had a goalie since like Ralston when we played. And it's it's a long time. Like How, how do you go that far without having a bona fide number one that you know going into the season we can we can rely on um you're always saying you're you're building your team down through the middle and that is correct but but you got to start with the goalie and then move down to the middle uh so so again it's 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 hard uh because again it is such an entertaining team to watch and i love watching the oilers uh, I have two little boys who who are loving McDavid and Drysaddle uh the way they played uh play so it's again it, you hope that a team like that does well as skin because it's a team you like to watch. Um, but again, goaltending is, is a big one for them. 
Well, it, it's, it's not just goaltending. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think with, you know, from when you entered the league in 2007 to where we are now, it, it's like they have one playoff series win in that entire stretch here. When, you know, when you were playing, you, you see the Oilers up, up on the schedule. Was it just like, oh, here we go. This team is always in the, in the same perpetual, you know, stuck in, in mud. And it, it's it's just it's so hard to find, you know, that style of player, that, that number one goalie and the number one center. It's so difficult to, A, either just find that guy and then get all the other pieces right it just it, it kind of highlights how difficult it is to win in this league it's luck that's what it is it is pure <laughs> luck uh, you you need your your draft picks the one you're taking later in the round to to, to turn out uh to, to be impactful players uh you need your your free agent signings to be to be better than you expected uh, go back to again when i played it's easy michael samuelson whoever expected him to come in and score what did he score? Ninety some goals over the two and a half years he was here. Nobody expected that. Um, Rafi coming in on a one-year show-me deal and providing something that that his team hadn't had uh, pretty much since they let Matt Cook go. Uh, some some physicality scared scared the bejesus out of the other team. Um, Dan Hamhuis signing for for less and becoming one of the best uh, defensive defensemen in the league. Like like you need luck. Uh, and again. The draft picks need to pan out as well. Um, and again, it, it's—I I say this—it's it's easy to draft in, in the top one, two, three, and hit a player. Um, but but you need to be able to accumulate a couple more players that can m- maybe not just contribute, but but also be vital parts of the team fr- from deeper in your draft. Um, and that can also be free agent signing. Like again, it's it's easy for me to pick uh, pick Vancouver because I remember all these players. Other teams do it well, but but Alex Burrows coming out of nowhere. Nobody wanted the kid uh, come through the minors, the East Coast, and, and becoming a vital part, filling out a role on top line here for for many many years. Pure luck. Uh, again, you find a guy like that that happens to turn out gel with with two of the best players in the league. Um, there are so many instances just from taking our team back then when we were really, really good, where there was so much luck involved there. Um, Alex Edler get, getting picked out of Milanoer, Sweden, and turning into a franchise defenseman. Uh, m- myself as well for, from them. Like, pure luck uh, that we get drafted, come in at the same time. Around a core that isn't luck. The Twins aren't luck. Kessler aren't luck. Lorongo weren't luck. Um, but again, the pieces around them, there, there's so much luck that goes into that. Of course, there's scouting as well. Um, but every other team scouted said players as well, but they didn't pick them for some reason. So, so there is so much luck that goes into it as well. So in that case, uh, because whenever the Oilers struggle, everyone pays even more attention to Connor McDavid. And uh, sometimes there's some analysis of the body language. And often, you know, they're, they're in a free fall and he'll have a, a, another game where he has three or four points. But what, what would you tell McDavid uh, about where his team is at and, and, and what kind of role that he can realistically play? Because as, as you just outlined, all of, those, all of those elements are really out of his control. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You you, keep, you tell him to keep going. Ho- hopefully keep him happy uh, so he doesn't say, okay, I, I've had enough of this. Uh, I, I want to try my, my luck somewhere else. Um, keep him happy. And then again, uh, start start filling some of those pieces because Hyman is a great addition. He, he made that team so much better right off the bat. Um, but w- one player is not enough. 
Um, and they are in a, in a win-now window, if you will. Uh, these guys are in their prime. They're playing. They're the best players in the league. But I wouldn't say by far, but they are the best players in the league. So, so you want to win now. So you want to add these players right now that can put them over the hump. Um, so again, it, it, don't don't mess with with McDavid and Drysaddle. Um, tinker around them. Uh, hopefully, f- find the, the the missing pieces. Um, they look like they had found it earlier this year. Again, again it was on the back of them scoring uh, two or three points a game, and that's obviously not sustainable. Um, but but again, they 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 looked a lot better earlier in the year than they do now. Uh, maybe some of that is, is highlighted by by the goaltending fact, like they give up these easy ones, and, and nothing is more deflating than than swallowing easy goals early on in games. It's like, here we go again. Uh, we, we, we need to score four or five goals to win this game. And it, it's, it's hard mentally. It's hard physically. Uh, but the fact that, that it, it's just a strain on, on your brain cells that you're like, oh, here we go again. I, I, we got to pull ourselves out of one again. Um, so again, you, you have some, some tinkering to do. Um, but again, they had seen how well that team played. So again, we can go, you always go back to just remember this is how we played. This is where we were. Um, we should be able to find that again. Um, but again, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't mess with those two. Uh, he is Yannick Hansen. Uh, how are the uh, holidays? They're great. They're great. Life is a little bit different now. It's been snowing for for ten days. Vancouver is <laughs> winning. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it's uh, no. It's great. Uh, kids obviously loving the snow. Uh, they're asking for it every year. It seems like now they almost had enough of it. Um, but no, it's uh, it's great. Uh, we had a chance to to get some family in for for a little bit here. So so that's always nice. Uh, obviously, it's been a little bit more secluded than we would have liked to around this time of year. But again, holidays are always nice. Are you a uh, stay up till midnight on New Year's uh, person? Uh, I used to be used to be my favorite day of the year when I was little growing up, but uh, New Year's is not as big. So no, it's been a while since I made it to New Year's uh, since I retired. Well, uh, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I definitely fall asleep by eleven o'clock as well. Uh, Yannick, uh, appreciate it as always. You'll hear him on uh, Friday on uh, the People's Show. Uh, we'll talk to you next Tuesday, Yannick. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Enjoy. Thanks, Yannick. Uh, Yannick Hansen, longtime NHLer in Vancouver Canuck. Uh, some interesting thoughts there about the Elias Pedersen and uh, the Canucks uh, playoff push. Uh, we'll, we'll get into uh, more of it on the other side here because I, I kind of want to unpack a couple of his thoughts and your thoughts as well. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And if you want to grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. We'll ha- give you a chance to have your say on the other side. Uh, grab a phone line and we'll talk to you here on the final segment on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the home of Vancouver hockey, Sportsnet 650. Final segment of Sportsnet today. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair from The Athletic Senior Editor here in Vancouver. Wrap up here and uh, we'll make way for the People's Show. Make sure you go subscribe to that podcast. Five-star reviews only. Also, Halford and Bruff in the Canucks Hour as well. 
Uh, still buzzing off of Yannick Hansen joining us first time in 2022. Some good thoughts there from uh, Great Yannick. stuff. Plenty coming in about Patterson and, and the Canucks playoff push. And we kind of started off the top of the show uh, discussing exactly that. I want to play this back from Yannick uh, if you're just tuning in and, and you missed a bit of it there. We'll play a couple of clips back here. But, you know, I, I want to start with the Pedersen stuff at least first. Uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about it too, just when, when, when you are that type of player. And I, I think he's got a certain perfectionist mentality, right? And Seems that way. And, and everything has gone so good for him, as Yannick alluded to, right? Like, this is kind of his first hockey adversity in his life, right? He's, he's coming back from an injury. And I, I do think there's a mental part of the injury as well that, that happens. And it might be perfectly healed, but you still have to learn how to trust your body all over again. That's a, for some players, that can be a difficult process to go mm-hmm. through. And, and that might play a factor into it. I think there's the mental component of, hey, you got this big contract. Now you have to live up to it as well. I, I've heard players talk about that. It's, it's one thing to earn the deal. It's another thing to now live up to the standards of what that money represents. And that's a difficult thing to compute mentally as well. So that's something that can play a role into it. But also just your, your general demeanor as a player of, I want everything to go such a way and, and be so perfect. And I, I think I can always pull it off. And you finally hit... A, a bump in the road where it's not. And now how do you mentally process all of that when you haven't gone through it at, at any part in your career? You know, he had so much success in Sweden, as Yannick alluded to. MVP, won the championship, all that sort of stuff. And he comes here, Calder Trophy, everything's going good. He's the king of the town. And the second year, you know, obviously the COVID stoppage happens, but you go into the playoffs and you still have success. And it's it's since then, it's, it's stagnated. Teams catch up to you. Teams try to evolve and, and try to defend you differently. Everything, your circumstances around you are changing. How do you adapt and evolve when you haven't necessarily had to? And that's a, a difficult process to to evolve with. And if, if you hit a stumbling block, this is the first time you're kind of doing it. I think what uh, is real fascinating, I think you can put this across sports, when it comes to a player like Elias Pettersson, is often when a player or a team, let's say, even is scuffling, they have you know their go-to thing to get them out of it. You know, mm-hmm. so like let's say let's say uh, it's a baseball pitcher, and things aren't you know the starts not going well, or the pitcher's in a rut and, and is in a is in is in a, a skid, and, and there's a number of starts that aren't going well. Usually they go, you know, go back to basics or like, let's, so let's just say this random pitcher has got a great fastball and it's overthinking. Okay. Well, first things first, I've got a great fastball. I have to reestablish my fastball or you see it in, in basketball where a team's offense is getting out of, out of sync. Okay. Well, like let's run our pet play here. Like let's, let's get back to what we, what, what makes us us. And I think with Patterson, we've discussed this throughout uh, the last couple of hours here. He's got these different attributes from his game. Yannick mentioned a couple of them, you know, like the reverse hit. Mm -hmm. That's something that when he's playing really well, we see that on an almost nightly basis. But that's not necessarily the kind of play that he can rely on, right? Like, it's not like, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do this and then it's going to unlock the rest of my game. I think with Pedersen, it's that shot. It's getting that opportunity for the one-timer. And that's talking about that game plan, Vic. That's where... That's where teams have decided to cut him off at the pass. And it makes it 
I think all the more difficult for those other things to fall into place because we, we see this a lot with athletes or with teams when things aren't going well, well, you know, go back to basics or go back to, to what got you here. And the way that Pedersen's game is, it, it's a little bit more finicky that way. He, he has, when, when all the pieces are, are rolling, it, it's, it's an incredible collection of skills and of talent. But it does seem like when there's something a little bit off, um, and, and it's not like you know, it's not like he's been off in the sense that he's one of the worst players in the league. He still yeah. had you know, effective stretches. It's just again to what Yannick said. You know, if you're the number one center, you have to be the number one center. When you're assuming that position within the lineup within a roster, you you have to deliver on those expectations. You have to deliver in that role because everybody else has been put in their role to fit around you. Yeah, and and the, to, to kind of highlight the point of, you know, it, it's it's obviously not fulfilled to his expectations and, and his potential. And the, the other important part of this, too, is it's not as if he's been a completely, you know, black hole defensively. He's been on the ice for 19 goals against so far this year. Uh, 31-4. If you want to kind of sort that out for, for, for just five on five, it, it also looks a bit cleaner. I think it's like 12 and 13. Uh, he Somewhere around that range for goals again. So it, it is, it's not as if he's been so poor defensively that you're not getting any value on the ice and it's such a departure from who he is. It's really just the offensive side of the game that hasn't come to fruition. And if you look at Elias Pettersson five on five throughout the course of his career, like this is the person that you're you're, you're, you're trying to sell out on on for some fans that are, are out on Elias Pettersson here. In his first three seasons, so that includes the 56-game season last season, the North Division, where a lot of people weren't thrilled with his play, albeit he, he played only 26 games. He is 12th in the league for centers at 5-on-5 five five in points per 60. If you put that to all strengths, whether that's, you know, power play and, and, and centers that have traditionally penalty killed, yep. that becomes 18th across the league. This is a bona fide number one center that is having some issues right now, obviously, but it's about getting back to where he was. And uh, we'll play this back from Yannick Hansen, just talking about Elias Patterson, what he is seeing right now and, and trying to get back to capture his form. We have that clip of uh, uh, Yannick uh, talking about Elias there. All right, we'll come back to that in just a second. Again, I go back uh, to my own oh, experience, and I was go-to guy everywhere I played until I came here, uh, until I turned pro. Uh, same thing in the minors. So you don't really face that adversity. And and Pedersen, for his perspective, he comes from the Swedish Elite League where he is, what, 17, 18 years old, and is the MVP. No adversity. Steps into the Canucks, uh, rookie of the year, leading the teams in scoring, no adversity. Um, go to the bubble, great playoffs, no adversity. All of a sudden you hit this and you've never experienced it before. Uh, how am I going to get out of this? Normally you've had time to uh, to work your way through this where you haven't needed to be the guy for your team to win. So like guys aren't looking to you to win the game, but you're, you're in a funk. But all of a sudden... This guy, he's 22 years old, and, and everybody's looking to him to win the games, not single-handedly, but, but playing the way he has been, 
but again, he, he's dealing with a lot of things that he hasn't had a chance to, to experience himself before, that through normal progressions of ups and downs and stuff like that, you will have experienced it. Uh, like I said, when I ran into this stuff, again, I'm not an Elias Peterson type of player, but, but I had faced adversities in the minors a couple of years coming in as a rookie in Vancouver my first couple of years. So by the time you get further down the, the line, you kind of, okay, I know what, what to expect and how to deal with this. And then you can kind of not snap yourself out of it. But, but again, you know that uh, it's, it's a matter of time and you do your things right, you will come out of it where for his case, maybe, and I'm speculating here, like I said, he hasn't dealt with a lot of adversity and now it's all of a sudden it's just piling on and it is something that he's never had to deal with before. So it can be, it can be troubling again. Hopefully he's got some help around him, whether it's, it's coaching staff, management, um, other players poking at him, uh, letting him know, Hey, this, this is normal. It happens to everybody. Uh, I remember Bo going through this, his first or second year and, uh, I think there was a famous quote there with Hank taking him on his wing, explaining the same thing happened to him. Um, and, and all of these players, they go through it. Nobody, nobody skates through the NHL for their for their entire career. So again, find a way through it. Uh, hopefully, get some help, uh, and then he should find his way. That is Yannick Hansen when he joined us a little while ago. Uh, you can uh, check this out online when it uh, gets put up and listen to that whole interview there. Uh, fascinating stuff there. It, 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 I, I think it's totally on point, and and it's one of those things. And he, he did preach patience for the Canucks fans to say, "Hey, just you just got to live through this. You just got to live through this. The players slump. Your best option is having Elias Pettersson on your team, being the first line center. And when he figures it out, if he figures it out, I know it's a a tough reality to live in until it gets sorted out. But you just got to be patient and let a player work through the struggles." Whether it's mental, whether it's physical, get through it, and then you'll see the 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 fruits of your patience uh, on the other side. What makes it more difficult, I think, for Canucks fans to process is that, as we've discussed today, Pedersen is so cerebral, mm-hmm. and it's not one of those kind of he's not one of those feel players. Though when he's at his best, it, it kind of seems that way on the ice. But he he's uh, can you think of a hockey player? Uh, that comes off as more calculated and tactical uh, as he has shown to be since we've seen him here in Vancouver? Uh, then Pedersen? Yeah. Oh, man, no, no. Like, he's put himself in this conversation where it's... And it's what makes him great when he's great. Mm-hmm. But now we're in this we're in this portion of time where he's not been great. He's been okay, but he's certainly not been uh, a top of the lineup type player. And it, I guess I kind of look at that process a little bit differently than you do when everything's going so well and to start it. And it's like, it's endearing the way that he breaks down his shot in the off season and how he wants to improve it. And I I think it, this comes up in, in other sports, like even individual sports, like you hear about tennis players, when they Great, lose yeah, their game yeah. and they lose their server, whatever, and how impossible it is for them uh, and how long it takes to speaking to, to Yannick's point about patience to build that back up because there is such a, there is such a process to it and there's such an order to the way of doing things. And it does seem like, and this is just based off of 
hearing Elias Pettersson talk about it in the media, talking to him once or twice about this kind of thing myself, uh, reading about it, watching him in practice, that he, he does approach these kind of challenges in that tactical, cerebral way, whereas uh, a lot of other players, it's, it's not, you know, a 12-step program. Because that was the thing, right? Like when he was working on his shot after the draft, when the word out there was that his shot wasn't going to be strong enough to be NHL level. And he was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to break down my shot into 12 parts and I am going to work on these parts individually. And it's going to have a beginning and an end. And that's how I'm going to approach this. When you look at like, let's say a guy like JT Miller, we've seen him in his short time with the Canucks have some highs, have some lows. And it seems like when he's scuffling, it's like, okay, he needs to identify one or two parts of his game to get those going, to get himself back to that established level that we're used to seeing. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, off, not off the ice stuff, but it's like, it's the intangible stuff. It's the, it's the F-bombs and it's getting, it's getting fired up, which we've seen Patterson get angry. We don't see him act necessarily in the way that, that Miller does. Miller's certainly on, on an extreme that way. But from the kind of recalibrating the game perspective, it's all, that's always the thing, you know, it's like, okay, when Miller's losing his game, his, his passing is, is completely out of whack and he needs to find a way to possess the puck a little bit better. And the coaches will try to put him in a position to do that. They'll, they'll tinker the lineup a little bit. I don't think there's an easy answer with Pedersen, though Yannick did point out that prior to the break, when Garland and Pud Colson were playing with Pedersen, that they, they had success. And it seemed like it was maybe unorthodox, but it, at least it was working. And it was... It was a, a step in the right direction, and now the lineup's in a bit of flux, and uh, I think it makes it more difficult for him to, to break through and, and reach that level um, in, in the short term anyway. He's having a bit of a Horvat syndrome where the wingers are changing all the time now all of a sudden, where it's, uh, you know, Brock Messer gets out of the lineup and put Colson's got to go somewhere else, and uh, it influx the wingers uh, of instability uh, next to Elias Pettersson. Uh, and, and, you know, the other part of this, too, is, and, you know, we touched on this with Yannick, and we touched on this on the start of the show, is, you know, he hasn't gotten going. And the, the Canucks are, are having here short-term success, and they've gotten themselves back into this playoff push. If he gets going, suddenly the picture gets so much rosier of them trying to track down Edmonton, Nashville, Anaheim, that cluster of teams to say, Hey, now we're rolling. Now, now we're up. We are operating at full strength. They, they've, they've struggled so far this season to get to this stage, right? Uh, so sitting at, you know, 35 points in 34 games, that's not uh, exactly a hallmark, uh, although the last you know, 10 games have been nice. It, it's still not perfect because Elias Pettersson still hasn't gotten going. If that happens, suddenly this, this push towards the playoff uh, becomes a lot easier because you got your studs going. And, uh, you know, we, we pitched it by Yannick uh, as well, just about this whole playoff picture right now, comparing them versus all the other teams here's what Yannick had to say about how how this suddenly you know the efforts that they've done through these 10 games look a lot better and we'll talk about it on the other side just if Pedersen gets going what they can do here's what Yannick had to say there you take Vancouver and you take uh, centers one two three um, they're better than just about anybody else in the division just about anybody else um, they have a number one defenseman they have a number one goalie they had all of these pieces um, 
that you could see, okay, this can be a very successful team. For some reason, it didn't come together in the beginning. They have uh, turned a corner, to say the least, and and now it doesn't look like a trip to the moon, more like a a steep hill up a mountain here for them to climb back in a playoff spot. But but again, it's definitely possible, and and they still have guys that aren't performing. Um, And again, that's nice to know that that your team can take it even a step further. Um, Again, they need to do them at some point, but, but just the fact that you still have a couple of uh, a couple of guys that aren't firing on full cylinders, it, it bodes well for the team. That's uh, Yannick Hansen when he joined us just about 25 minutes ago talking about this playoff push. And uh, the, you know what's interesting about this week too, Izzy, is they're totally idle, right? That they, they, They've played more games than everyone, and, and with the game cancellations and everything, they just get to sit here and watch everyone else pile up points but those teams have to pile up points and we're going to get a better gauge of you know kind of what the playoff bar looks like uh come saturday when the canucks play the senators because other teams are going to play edmonton's going to be playing tomorrow uh san jose's got a couple of games this week uh uh vegas and, and anaheim play today and they play on thursday so a bunch of teams are going to catch up on games played to vancouver and right now as it stands the oilers uh Based on point pace, hold the eighth spot with 94 points. Canucks at 84, uh, almost the same games played. Like we're getting an idea of of kind of what the real chase is going to look like here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's kind of falling into place, and uh, it's disappointing, uh, though understandable, that the schedule changes. And I, look, we're we're also expecting that the schedule is going to change a little bit in in February now that that window is open, and that's going to make it. Uh, makes it a little bit more difficult to pinpoint exactly what's coming here, but and that, that's that's a little bit more challenging, I think, for for the teams that are chasing uh, and, and the coaches when it comes to let's say goaltending decisions, for example, not really knowing what that schedule is going to to look like. Uh, they're going to try to to fit in these games. You know, the Canucks have a, a number of games that need to be rescheduled from uh, December and now uh, here early in January. Uh, to put those there uh, is is going to be it's going to be interesting, right? The the the, the basic kind of okay, uh, they're on a they're on a long road trip, they're at home, uh, back and forth of of a season isn't quite going to be in line, uh, and so there's going to be some wrinkles there uh, to watch for as well, uh, which is going to make this this is going to be you know, a wild ride and the. Fortunately for for Canucks, uh, for the Canucks and for Canucks fans, uh, the wild ride since Bruce Boudreaux has been the head coach has been a fun one. I think most people are, are probably sitting at home, sitting in their cars going like, sign me up. I, I'm ready for a bit of a wild ride because uh, the team's handled it pretty well. Uh, let's get to a quick call here. 604-280-0650. Uh, Jordan from Langley. Jordan, you want to chime in? Uh, what's on your mind? Yeah. Yeah, hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I'm super happy that Eddie Gregory's back on local sports talk. That guy was awesome on 1040 when he was filling in. Now, um, I am one of the Canucks fans. We all want Pedersen to do well, obviously, but I am one of the ones souring on him. And part of it is due to these huge stretches of uh, non-product, like uh, lack of productivity. Think back to his rookie year, the whole second half, he suffered a lot, his production. He was amazing the first half, though. And his pouty attitude right now is it's so hard to watch on TV, just him in the slumps. Like, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but you got to stay a lot more positive than he is. And why are we calling him a bona fide center? 
a center takes face-offs and he just gets worked in the face-off circle. We talk about how quickly he turns his shot around. Remember, Kessler said, I'm going to work on my shot. The next year he scores like 41 goals or something. It, it doesn't take that long to get better if you have the skills there. Maybe it's a strength thing, and then maybe he should just be a winger and try to hopefully emulate like Patrick Kane or whatever. Thanks, guys. Thanks for all that, Jordan, from Langley. And, uh, look, I, I think that's uh, – I've been echoing that sentiment that a lot of people, I think, that Jordan shares. You know, w- w- when you mention the strength thing, it's like, okay, that's just your pre-draft dig that you haven't adjusted. And you don't really care that he's produced to the level that I just mentioned, that he's produced to the 12th best center at points per 60 at even strength. Like, y- you just don't care about the facts. You only care about, hey, he's not strong enough. He's light. And all that sort of stuff. They should have drafted Cody Glass. That's the reality you live in. <laughs> like, no, I, I look, I, and I don't think Gordon's alone. I'm not trying to, you know, ream out the call. You're, you're yeah, more yeah. welcome to share your opinion here. But I just think that's the thing that people are always going to look at and say, wow, he's only 170 pounds. He, 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 he can't do all these things. Yeah, it's it wasn't a problem in his rookie season and the year after. He won the Calder, right? And he's been one of the most prolific uh, players uh, across the league at five on five play. Like, it's. It, the, the stats don't lie. That's what happens. And because he goes through a slump, a lot of people just want to jump on that piggy draft fake and say, oh, he wasn't strong then. I told you he wasn't going to be strong now. And it, it's not a it, – it's, it's a sentiment we get a ton of into our text message inbox. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't agree with it. But the, the only rebuttal, I guess, uh, kind of devil's advocate perspective is that, you know, teams have adjusted. And they mm-hmm. got taken by surprise the first couple of years. Now, I don't believe that because I don't believe that, uh, you know, this isn't one of those instances where a player comes out of nowhere and takes a team by, like, you know, takes uh, opponents by surprise for a couple of games and puts up a bunch of goals and points and then is never heard from again. Uh, the, the, as you said, Vic, the stats don't lie. The comparables over that time period don't lie. Now, right now, there are real questions, real concerns, real criticisms uh, that are, are worthy of scrutiny. But that doesn't mean that uh, that doesn't mean that what we saw before uh, is is not without merit. I, I want to answer this question before we go and, and depart here for uh, uh, the People Show. Uh, this t- unsigned text here. So now, when do we draw the line on the patience? When is the right time to say maybe Pedersen isn't the player we thought? Now, I, I think that's an interesting question because it's not it's not stated as like, oh, when do we trade him or anything like that? When do we consider the idea that he's not the player we thought? If if this continues for and I, I know this timeline might be longer than people want to realize. If this continues till February of next year, then then I'll get concerned. Like that. Like that's how much I'm willing to extend mm-hmm. this. Out. Yeah. Like we, we 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 can say, you know, the 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 off season and and the the contract and training camp and all that sort of stuff. There, there's viable reasons you can say a lot of these issues are are cropping up. If if he goes healthy this whole season and you get a full off season and it still continues for half of a season next year, then we can kind of say, all right, maybe this guy isn't a franchise center. But you're still a year, a full calendar year away from from kind of entertaining that too. In my mind. Yeah, right, right there with you, Vic. Uh, Bik Nazar, Israel Fair, Izzy, thank you very much. Uh, you got it. Enjoy the rest of your day there, and uh, we will depart here. Uh, final segment here on uh, Sportsnet Today. People's show on the way. Sat Dan Randeep uh, coming up here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.